And hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host, as always, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And yes, 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 guys, we are back here in prime time on 12 Ounce Sports. Thank you all for very much for tuning in here on 12 Ounce Sports, whether you're watching us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Zingo TV. Yeah, I think I said them all. It's chat on 761 on Zingo TV if you ever want to check that out. Always thank you very much for tuning in here on this Monday edition. I know, I know, for all those that only watch on 12 Ounce Sports, I know you guys have been missing me. I know I've been I've been busy the last couple of Monday nights, so I've kind of had to adjust my schedule a little bit. I've had to kind of make sure that I could do the show still and still be able to you know, keep up to date with everything and also have a social life. Last Monday night, we went to go see Michael Bublé. That was that was an experience, guys. I don't know if anyone have any of you have actually gotten to see Michael Bublé. But he is an extremely extremely entertaining fella. He's a nice guy. He flipped off the entire crowd though. It, I'll probably go to a little bit later on, but boy, he he is like he's just so intuitive with the crowd. And like this, don't forget, this is Grand Rapids, Michigan. We're living in here. It's not like this is Detroit or Madison Square Garden in New York. This is just, you know, it's, uh, hello, everyone. This is a nice suburb of West Michigan. And, you know, th- thanks for being here. I, listen, I've been to a lot of concerts. I've been to Nickelback at Van Andel. I've been to Metallica at Van Andel. I've been to Kiss at Van Andel. A lot of the big shows, a lot of big names. And, like, you know, Nickelback's like, this is a hockey arena. We should play some hockey here while we're doing, you know, crowd goes kind of crazy. He didn't mention that they were the Griffins or not, because I guarantee you Chad Kroger does not know the Griffins exist. Kiss, for example, they've been to Grand Rapids many a times. I believe they've 97, 98, 2000, I think 2003, maybe like five or six times they've been to the Van Andel Arena, at least Van Andel. They probably were at the, what used to be called the Grand Rapids Stadium many years ago, back in the 70s, maybe the Delta Plex too. But... My point is, like, they don't go, like, oh, man, going to Grand Rapids is so much fun. Like, they don't do that. So Michael Bublé comes out. We'll get to the hockey here in a second, folks. It's, I love the fact that when he comes out and he says, I, I heard, you know, this is Michigan, like, Grand Rapids. You guys are a bunch of Lions fans, right? They won yesterday, and this was after last week, of course, when the Lions almost came back against San Francisco but lost. And I remember I said to myself, you got to be kidding me. But... You know, the crowd kind of booed a little bit. And he said, well, I myself, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. And that just got even more boos. Well, boos and boos in the Van Handel Arena when he brings up the Packers and had some fun with it, kind of joked around. It was it was an absolute, it was kind of fun to to hear the crowd. But like his interaction, he's just such an entertaining guy. And listen, yeah, I remember how I mentioned it was Kiss, Metallica, Nickelback. Like I go see a lot of hard rock bands there most of the time. And then I go see Michael Bublé. Even though, like, I don't always, like, I love, love listening to Michael Bublé and jazz and, of course, especially, you know, sometimes it's good to hear some Sinatra now and again. He is the modern-day Sinatra, right, Michael Bublé? I would love to have him on the show. He's a big Canucks fan and given that he's from BC and whatnot. But, man, that would be that would be a hoot and holler to have him on the show. Just talk hockey. I tried getting him on before. I'm like, hey, you're in Grand Rapids, Michael. Uh, well, I reached out to his his PR folks and say, hey, since he's in Grand Rapids, I'm in Grand Rapids. I am vaccinated. He's vaccinated. Can we chat socially distant apart? 
That would be fun for my program. That would have been a show. Ken Cal and Michael Buble. <laughs> I say Ken Cal because those that don't remember on, my, on the Kula Show YouTube channel or your favorite podcast, you can catch last Monday's episode when we chatted with Ken Cal, the voice, the play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings. He's up in Traverse City right now, wrapping things up tomorrow, I believe, for the Angel Prospects tournament up there in Traverse City. Uh, by the way, a couple things with that. Uh, Nick Robertson of the Toronto Maple Leafs got a game misconduct up there. Listen, I know, I know they try to keep it as real as possible. I didn't know they kicked guys out of those games. I didn't watch it, unfortunately. I've been able to watch a lot of stuff. It's pretty busy this weekend. And Jared McIsaac, I think I, from what I heard, uh, took a hard hit the other day against Columbus and had to, to go to the hospital up there in TC. Sounds like he's okay, though. He's going to join back the team, but he took a very hard hit, kind of a scary hit. And he's a guy that we talked with, remember we talked a couple Mondays ago, actually, with Rachel Anderson talking about the Red Wings and how he's going to be a big prospect moving forward with them. So hopefully for him for a speedy recovery. But of course, we have to thank our awesome sponsor today here for 12 Ounce Sports. Second string leather company, hashtag crafted from the crease. Check it out there. It's up in the corner, right up there, right up there in the corner, right there on my laptop as well. My sticker, you see it all the time here on TKS. Be sure to check them out because they have a cool collection nine, guys. I haven't got anything from it yet. It's been a little busy, but my Christmas and my birthday's coming up. Kelly's birthday has passed, but she really didn't want anything from there because she is she's weird. She doesn't like getting stuff from Second Chain Leather Company, even though she has a cool shirt and a, and I have a cool wallet and I have I given her a sticker and a business card. She likes those because she likes stickers. She likes to put stuff on like her services. And like myself, I have like a lot of stuff on my laptop, as you can tell. So Second Chain Leather Company, hashtag crafted from the crease. Today, what are we going to talk about today, Tyler? Well, we have some stuff to talk about today. I won't go any more about Michael Bublé, I promise, even though he's a very attractive man and I can't believe he's 46 years old. I would love to actually talk to him. But like this coffee, we're going to sip down some, some good hockey knowledge today. We're going to talk about the some couple recent signings, one big one in New York. By big, I mean just the size of the guy they signed over there. Also, we're going to be talking about some pretty notable guys that signed only PTOs heading into camp here starting up uh, this week. That's going to be interesting to see how that goes for a lot of a lot of players and a lot of names that you're going to recognize here. And also, we're going to go into a Pacific Division preview with good boy from the Hockey Podcast Network, Isha Jerome, coming on. We've well, talked to one of his buddies a couple of times, State of Hoppy from the Soda Pod, which Romy actually co-hosts as well. He'll be jumping on to talk about the West, the Far West, because we haven't really done that a whole lot. We've been focused on the Central and a little bit with the Atlantic, not so much the Metro, but... Kind of got a little bit of announcement later on before we talk to Romy. Why the Metro may get a little bit more coverage, at least here in the Kuehl household. Sorry, we got a lot of stuff here. I'm just trying to keep tabs with everything going on today. Unfortunately, I'm getting a lot of tweets from a new team that I'm not going to say yeah. I'll, I'll say that for later on in the program. But let's get to some news that we've had in the past week. I think one of the biggest things, actually, let's go into something I saw today. It's pretty funny when, so the past week or so has been the NHL car wash, if you will, NHL media tour where they've gone to Toronto, Chicago, New York, whatnot, pretty much interviewing a bunch of players here. You know, what do you like about this season? Whatever, yada, yada, yada. And I've been listening to a lot of 30, 32 thoughts with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick because now there's 32 teams in the league. I, and there's been a lot of, they've talked to a lot of players. They talked to Bill Daly, which we'll kind of get to when we talk about the signings. But 
I think one of the cool things I saw today was obviously they like to do a lot of on ice footage with the with promotion of the season coming up here for the National Hockey League. Turner Sports, the I'll call it the owner, the owning ownership group of TNT, which is where the National Hockey League signed its B package to for coverage for the next seven years televised in the United States. They have debuted a a drone cam for promotional purposes is from what I have been told. Just promotional purposes. And it's pretty cool. You can find it on NHL.com. That's how I found the video. Uh, like Nathan McKinnon and Mitch Marner was on the ice. I think Ovechkin as well. Kind of just it's zooming around them and he's and they're skating around shooting the puck. Kind of getting an up-close look of how, the, how they're skating. And a couple of players thought it was pretty neat. They did it on the practice sheet. I think a Fifth Third Arena is where they shot the promo footage in Chicago. And I just, I said to myself, this could be something here. But my first thought was when I heard about this thing was, I'm pretty sure you all probably all thought as well, was, are they going to put this thing in a game? Because you guys know when, if you ever watch a, a big college football game or most NFL games, they have the sky cam, the skyline cam that goes right over top of the, the players and the coaches went out and they tighten it up so they can, they can kind of get up close into a huddle, but they can zoom back out because they tighten it up and whatnot. There's a whole mechanical way to broadcast it. But that's one thing you can quickly get out of the way. And hockey, obviously, you don't want to because for those that don't remember the Canada-Russia World Junior Final from last year, not this past one, but the year prior, that was a TSN camera that saved Canada's bacon in that. I don't think they're going to do that, something with like that hockey. But I see this drone, all of a sudden I think to myself, are they going to put a camera on the ice? And I, I just remember thinking, I'm like, that would be bonkers if something were to happen like that. Could you imagine Connor McDavid on a breakaway? He's in the clear and he gets tripped up by the TNT drone and that's going to be a penalty shot. Like, it would be the strangest thing to see. But like I said, I guarantee that's not going to happen. They may do drone stuff um, for, you know, if you're watching international hockey. Typically, you see a lot of it with World Juniors or Women's Worlds. They'll have a camera on the ice kind of skating around the players. Uh, the CHL does a lot of that as well. They sports net coverage. By the way, CBC is going to do a lot of, uh, of CHL coverage this year, which is awesome to see. And I, th- I don't know if T- – I think it's just CBC for the first couple months. I guess there's not been a firm package yet. Um, I know I'm bouncing around here, but it sounds like CBC is going to do some coverage for the Canadian Hockey League, the top junior level in – Canada, which is cool because they're also going to stream it free online, which means that none of us in the States are still going to be able to watch it because it's probably going to be blacked out in the United States to regional viewers only, which I am not. I am not close enough to Detroit where I can like hang an antenna out the wall and be like, I'm in Windsor. I should watch this. No, unfortunately not. But that's a, it's a good deal, though, that they got going over there. Hopefully they can continue. I love watching junior hockey. But back to my point is, they, when Sportsnet was doing it, especially during the Memorial Cup, they'd have a guy skate around with a camera on the ice. Here's the starting goaltenders, and they get right up in his face and would probably cause me to get fined because if I was the goaltender, I'd probably slash the camera out of his hand. But they do a lot of that cool stuff, and there's a goal on the ice, and a guy jumps on and starts skating around with them and gets really up close. I think that's what the drone may do. Oh, my gosh. They, they, uh, no, they can't do that in shootouts. I said to my, I was thinking, oh, they could put a camera on them in shootouts. I'm like, if I'm a goaltender... I'm pissed because I would hate that, would hate a lot. So I like the idea of having 
you know, just incorporating technology because TNT, for those that watch the NBA on TNT, for those that don't, I guess, they like to focus on the entertainment value of their broadcast. While the X and O, X's and O's are one thing, they like to focus on the, you know, oh, look at this play here. And, they, you know, any ever watch Inside the NBA with Barkley, Shaq, um, keep, I always forget the host's name, EJ, EJ? It's EJ, yeah. Er, uh, Ernie, Ernie Johnson. There we go. Saved it. And uh, Kenny Williams, I think, is the fourth guy on that panel. But they just have a blast. They, they do talk about the game a little bit, but it's more or less just them making fun of each other for an hour after the game. So that's, I think that's what the Angels is going to try to do. They have a pretty good-looking panel, minus one guy, um, an analyst. I'm not going to say his name because I don't give their, I don't want to give their, uh, them any limelight on this program. But they're going to be interesting to watch. I'm going to continue to watch, obviously, because I get to watch a lot of games. And it sounds like, if I'm not mistaken, ESPN is, they're going to continue to do a lot of awesome work as well. The NHL on ESPN, from what I remember, I swore I heard something along the lines of how the NHL was going to broadcast just about every single game. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure, maybe, possibly. Um, because if that's the case where every game is going to be broadcasted, that's going to be awesome. Let me see. So this was the release put up by the ES by by the by the ESPN the ESPN uh, ESPN last week that their the season will start up on October 12th with the doubleheader Pittsburgh and Tampa the defending Cup champs and then the first game between Seattle and Vegas. Both games will also be simulcast on ESPN Plus, and ESPN Plus will be broadcasting 75 exclusive regular season games. ABC and ESPN will be combining with 28 exclusive regular season games for a total of 103 games. As I click their complete broadcast schedule, and so it sounds like they're going to have games about every other night by the looks of things, which is pretty cool. I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, that there's going to be no way that they can't broadcast every game. Oh, TNT is going to have the hair. Oh, yes, that's another thing in news we can probably get into here as we're talking about it. TNT is going to be broadcasting the Heritage Classic, which will happen on March the 13th. The Heritage Classic will be between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres. Where is it going to be, kids? BMO Field? No. The Sky Dome? No. Buffalo? No. Where is it going to be, kids? Hamilton, Ontario, at Tim Hortons Field there in Hamilton. Home of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I don't know why I went full scale Chicago on them there, but it's uh, it's good to see though the fact that there's going to be an American uh, crew there because what has typically happened in the past is the fact that the National Hockey League or the NBC Sports Network, which is the one that would usually broadcast the Heritage Classic games, you know, Ottawa, Vancouver, uh, Calgary, Montreal, Edmonton, Winnipeg, I think was the other one. They usually literally did this. They took the, the feed of Sportsnet or CBC, whoever was doing it, and just took that and put that on there on NBC Sports Network. No one really originally there. So uh, Turner's going to have 50-game telecast schedule. So there's going to be, between the two, it sounds like actually broadcast 153 total games. I don't know how much is going to be on HBO. I'm not quite sure. Uh, do, 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 do. 
I'll have to figure this out because uh, this does pertain to my job now. My new possible, oh, I may spoil a little bit. New possible thing that I'm doing. That's why I need to know about broadcasters from other areas. Anywho, before I keep going too far there, the Heritage Classic in Hamilton. Kind of sprinting through here this beginning of the show today. I am intrigued to see what's going to happen here. And I love people. There's obviously a lot of the reaction is, oh my gosh, imagine having to go from Buffalo to Hamilton. Pretty lateral move, don't you think? And you know what? From someone that has been there to play hockey and hasn't really been around to experience and really visit Hamilton, I can't judge. It is a steel town, which is kind of why black and yellow just seems to work there. It's a very blue collar town there in Hamilton. And I joked and said, ah, it's, it's the Battle of the 403. The opposite direction. That's all it is. I you Listen, it, the Hamilton fan base, if anyone's ever watched the CFL, which, by the way, you can, ESPN Plus, get on it. If you have it, use it. That's why. That's literally one of the reasons why I bought ESPN Plus, so I could watch CFL games. It's wonderful. Even though I bought it and then the pandemic happened. So this season's been great for me. But the fans in Hamilton at least compared to the Argos fans in Toronto. Night and day. People love football in Hamilton. Then again, that is their big team. The Bulldogs in the Ontario Hockey League are their, probably their biggest team. But in the summer, I think they have a semi-pro baseball team there, but their team is the Tiger Cats. It's not like in Toronto where you have the Blue Jays or TFC, or if you're really into it, TFC too. You know, that's what they can have in the summertime in the GTA. The Tiger Cats are it. Now, yes, is it as strong as you could probably say the Edmonton Elks, the Saskia Rough Riders, and Calgary St. Peters? Well, no, because once again, similar, yes, and even though Edmonton and Calgary, and I believe Regina does have a baseball team, that you know those are the big sports in the spring and summer and early fall is their CFL teams. So they sell out like crazy. The Stampeders have always done well. The BC Lions are hit and miss, I know. But then again, I think there's a bigger fan base for soccer out there, for real football out there, for the Whitecaps. Same thing with Montreal. The Alouettes, if they're playing well, Danny Calvillo is there. They had a big turnout for fans. Not so much now. CF Montreal, their MLS team is bringing up a little bit more. But A, because they're a little bit better than the, the Alouettes right now. So, listen, I, this is me. I'm not going to go into why each team is better than their other team that's in their town. I just know because, A, I follow the standings and whatnot. I like to watch. I love to watch MLS because MLS is also on ESPN+. Plus. Just about every game that's not nationally televised. So, I it's good to see, though, that, that a smaller town like Hamilton is getting recognition. And the reason why I think is because Buffalo's had it. Buffalo's been in the game twice. They've hosted it once. There's really nowhere else to go in Buffalo. Yes, they have the baseball stadium, the Bisons, but as anyone who is a fan of the Jays knows that Buffalo really isn't a good spot for a outdoor NHL game. Now, granted, yes, Rochester and Syracuse, I believe, played an outdoor game uh, at a baseball field in the American League, which would probably work in Buffalo, but it wouldn't work for having it being two National Hockey League teams with a national audience and so on and so forth. So... I, that's why I kind of get there going to Hamilton. It's a bigger stadium, better facilities. Because yeah, I, I never I, I think the NHL is trying to do what they can to not go back to the same place that they've already been. 
BMO in particular. And the Sky Dome, is, it's as much as I would love to see 50,000 people jam into the Sky Dome to watch a hockey game, I think the NHL doesn't think that's going to happen, which bums me out. Like I said, if you put a hockey game in the Sky Dome, I think it'd be pretty cool. I don't think it would ever happen. I think we'll probably talk about this a little bit with Jeromey later on too uh, when we get him on from the Hockey Podcast Network in a little about a half hour time here. Have him on about 7 o'clock Eastern time, 4 o'clock his time out there in BC. Because I think what the one thing they realized too, remember when Vancouver played Ottawa at BC Place, the big stadium they got over there, Dome Stadium, didn't quite sell as much as they thought. Then again, the Canucks were kind of on the downturn and Ottawa was Ottawa, even though they were one season or away from going to the conference finals, which, as we learned, was just this weird blip on the radar that many people would like to forget. Regardless, I think that's what the NHL realized, that 50000 is a lot to ask for Buffalo-Toronto. I think you could make it work, but the problem is also the fact that they're going to try to drive ticket sales up high to make money back, and not many people are going to want to spend 50 bucks to go sit at the 500 level at the Sky Dome. I think if you if you sold it right, if you can get the right people involved, the right numbers, I think you could make it work. Maybe do 10 bucks for 500 seating and go down from there. Because like I said, 50,000 people in the Sky Dome. I know it's not 110,000 near 110 that we've seen at the Winter Classic. It's not going to be like 115,000, the big chill between Michigan and Michigan State back in 20, 2011, I think it was. I know we're not going to get those numbers. It's not going to be that big. But the Sky Dome. Even when, the, even when the roof is open, the way the sound just projects off the half of the concrete roof that's already still up, that's permanently there, it's so loud in there. It's so intimidating. I, I, w- I would love it. But then again, like I said, I may be a little biased with that. Just I've, I've been to games, they're half-filled. Still pretty loud. I've been to games... I remember we went the day after Canada Day back in 2014. There may have been 10,000 people at the Sky Dome. It was still pretty loud when Eddie Encarnacion did the walk-off homer in the 10th inning. I just, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because, like I said, I'm a Jays fan. I get it. People probably will give me flack for it. People say, oh, of course you're saying that because you cheer for them. I think it'd be pretty cool. And I, you know what? I will say this because I know they wouldn't close the dome. They wouldn't want to because they want to keep it open for the aesthetics of a winter or a heritage classic, a winter game, even though this one's in March. I, for those that don't remember the 2012 Champions League match between TFC and LA Galaxy, this is when TFC was a, a, a team kind of on the brink of making it big, but weren't there yet. They were, I believe, closer to 10th season, 9th or 10th season. And they were going up against Beckham, Donovan, like that that Galaxy team, which I think went on to win the MLS Cup that year or had just won it. That team was really good, but they fit 47,000 people into the Sky Dome for a football, for a soccer match. If you if you guys ever want to know, when the Toronto Argos won the 100th Grey Cup in 09 at the Sky Dome, their home turf, literally, because they were still playing there at the time, they couldn't even sell that game out. I think the, I think the I think what I heard was like maybe less like less than forty thousand for that game. But for TFC versus LA Galaxy Champions League in March, that's why it was at the Sky Dome and not BMO because it was too cold, too cold to play at BMO for Beckham and them. 
I'm not not picking on Beckham. I'm just saying that's how it was. They fit almost 50. They were almost they were closer to capacity than a championship game. That's how crazy it was at the Sky Dome. And I think you could do that with the Leafs, but I'm not the one. I don't work for the National Hockey League. I get it. I'm just hoping it's not a warm March in 2022 because, oh boy, could you imagine? You thought the ice was bad out there in Lake Tahoe, kids. How about a nice warm March in good old muggy Hamilton? Ugh. May as well give them snowshoes and say, bah, play some ball hockey. That'll be probably the best way you're going to have to do it. So it'll be interesting to see what they go from there with the Heritage Classic. Uh, St. Louis and Minnesota each put out their sweaters recently. Minnesota's pretty cool because it's representing the Twin Cities. It's got the St. Paul on one side, Minneapolis on, or Minneapolis on the other, even though they play in St. Paul. And the Blues went really retro with theirs, which I love to see. I'm, I'm a big fan with sweaters that are actually retro actual retro sweaters or at least very close to it um speaking of sweaters the announcement today arizona coyotes trying to save their butts trying to not look like total jack wagons uh, they're gonna go with the kachinas full time now out with the howl in red all in with the full moon kachinas well the half moon crescent moon with the kachina sweaters that they came when they first arrived in 1996 which means kids when they play in winnipeg twice this year First time that they're going to be in the Central Division, the MTS place, which, by the way, is full capacity, is going to let them know that they don't like the fact that that team is in their building that they should never have left. It's probably what they would yell at them. There's probably going to be a lot more other vulgar words that I'm not going to say on this program, but you got to love it. Um, We'll get to a little bit with the capacity limits on teams later on in Canada. The NHL, at least in down here in the States, it's seeming like there's going to be full capacity at most barns. I know Florida has done some capacity limits with the Miami football team. We saw I saw that this past Saturday with them, uh, when they played the Michigan State Spartans. The Red Wings, it sounds like you're going to have full capacity. But what was just announced today in Ontario, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto Raptors are going to move forward with full capacity, barring vaccinations, of course, vaccination status, among its compartments and that's i think real big news given the fact that the toronto maple leafs had to literally fight their way to have 500 people in the arena for game seven in this year's playoffs and i i get it i i really get it it kind of sucks how it how it ended up happening um let me gosh where is it chris johnson tweeted about it earlier Make sure I get the right, I, I, I correctly read out the release because if, if I'm going to mess it up, I want to mess it up correctly. If that makes sense for you kids. Uh, Chris Johnson, he was tweeting today. Da, 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 da. How much time? Okay, we got plenty of time here. So according to the Toronto Star, which CJ now writes for, the Toronto Maple Leafs and Toronto Raptors are planning to play in front of full capacity crowds at Scotiabank this season. Now that is the... So yes, uh, a section by Kevin McGrath, excuse me, retweeted by Chris Johnson. Uh, they're waiting for official clearance from the province. Tickets are now on sale to the general public and with the requirement that all potential attendees be fully vaccinated. Now that is also the same thing in Alberta with the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers and the Winnipeg Jets. There is limited capacity right now going to Vancouver and Montreal. So the only two teams that we really have left to wait for is Toronto and Ottawa. It sounds like, though, that they're really pushing for full capacity. Of course, Doug Ford, the mayor of Toronto, has been very proponent of, hey, if we can get everyone vaccinated, let's let them all go to the game. We've seen that. I'm going to, Kelly and I are going to 
Michigan Rutgers on Saturday at the big house. 100, no, it'd be 110,000 people. Well, at least that's how many tickets they sell. I'm going to be fully vaccinated. I'll probably wear a mask as well, but I'm fully vaccinated. This should be allowed me to go. We went to Michael Buble this past Monday. Michael Buble's tour demands either a negative COVID test in the last 72 hours or fully vaccination. And I'm fully vaccinated, so I brought my vaccine card. I flaunted that sucker like it was a gosh darn American Express card and flexed on people that didn't have those. Yeah, because I'm one of those guys. Get vaccinated, kids. So I... I listen, it, it's tough because it's weird now going to games with fully vaccinated people. It's weird. I mean, even if it's full... Now, granted, I was at the Buble concert. It was, I'd say it's about it was about 90% full at Van Andel Arena. I had a couple of seats next to me that were pretty open, which was nice. I had some leg room and didn't have to have someone breathing on me. It's going to be weird. I think there's probably something now. There's some people that are going to be, ah, whatever this, you know, whatever that. And I'm not going not gonna to go into that too much. But I'm saying is, for me, it's a little weird. We were walking the concourse of the Van Andel Arena. We didn't have to wear a mask since we were vaccinated. But I still wore my mask just because I'm like, there's a lot of people here. And I got a lot of games I got to be doing right now or soon. So in terms like events, going to other games that I'm not ready to announce yet because I, they're not for sure. But anyways, for a long story short, I just want to play it safe. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to have to worry about you know, accidentally breathing something I'm not supposed to because I've had people that have been vaccinated and tested positive. It, it happens. I've had people that have, you know, I've lost people. I lost another uh, family friend a couple days ago to COVID-19. They were not vaccinated. Lost someone a month ago to COVID. They were, not, they were unvaccinated. So listen, I take precautions because A, yes, I don't want anyone else to get sick, but B, I don't want to get sick myself. It sucked. It sucked when I had COVID. I, I don't I don't remember if we did the show that week uh, when I had COVID. No, no, we did. I did do the show that week and I had COVID. Obviously, though, I was home alone. Well, Kelly and I were both quarantining, but I was able to do the show because uh, I had it back in March and it sucked for, well, it sucked for two days. I was symptom-free for the rest of the my quarantine span, but obviously I was still positive. But that's what I'm saying, though, kids, is the fact that I had it at one point and it's not fun. So I try to not get it again, especially right now. We're getting back into hockey season. I'm doing football right now, but going back indoors, it's, it's, I'm just going to play, play the cards close to the chest there and make sure everything's okay. So like I said, back to the capacity limits. I, I think, you know what, if you can make sure ensure the safety to its highest extent, I don't see why you don't go full vaccination. I know BC and Quebec were two that were very, that were very strict and were very kind of, hesitant to allow people to back into the arena. That's why they're at limited capacity right now. Maybe Ontario says let's do 75% to start off because there's a possibility, folks, by the end of the regular season in March and early April, when we come back from the Olympics, that Vancouver or at Rogers Place there, Rogers Arena, excuse me, they may allow fans back at full capacity. Same thing at Santa Bell. So I, I, I'm... I'm trying to be optimistic with this sort of thing, even though at the same token, we're literally, I mean, if you guys remember what happened last year during the fall and winter, all those numbers went right back up to the roof and every health official was saying, see? So that may not change, but obviously if they give the full go, a full capacity go right away, I'm pretty sure a lot of fans in Toronto will be happy. I know that 
I want to go this year. I'd love to go to a game this year. But if I can't, then that's one thing. I know right now that if I wanted to go to Canada, I would have to A, be vaccinated and test negative within 72 hours. And I believe it's a PCR test as well. So it's one of those that you have to get, I believe, so you have to get it like two days out before, or three days out before you leave, where it gets close enough that you get your results before then. It's very, very funky. My dad did it because uh, his wife, Colleen, is from London, St. Thomas area. So they wanted to go visit the family and they did. Colleen didn't have to because she is dual citizen. She is Canadian. And it helped out that my dad was able to test negative right before then. So there you go. But regardless, it's going to be an interesting time. It's going to be an adjustment period. Some folks around, well, I'm pretty sure anyone that went to Tampa during the, or was in Tampa during the playoffs and Vegas during the playoffs, I'm pretty sure they're like, Nashville, Carolina, they're probably like, what's the problem, guys? We were doing this all last year. I'm like, well, listen, it's for us Northern folks, it's a little bit different. Unfortunately, the Detroit Red Wings, I know they were allowing some fans in, but unfortunately they didn't play long enough to get fully full capacity because, well, they didn't quite get close to the playoffs this year. So maybe it'll be different this year. So we'll just have to wait and see. Where was I going to go from there? I, I just started rambling, kids. I know. I'm sorry about that. But, well, you know, you guys all know. Once I get going, it, it's literally a waiting game until I stop. Uh, let's get to some contract signings here. Um, oh, geez. Totally forgot about this news. Um, Travis Zajac of the of the New Jersey Devils, I can say that, retired today after 15 seasons in the National Hockey League. He signed a one-day contract. I was obviously a free agent this year. And to, to retire as a member of the team that drafted him back in 2004, first round pick 20th overall of the New Jersey Devils. Good old Lou. Gave him one more run with the playoff team this year. Didn't quite work out for the Islanders. He only had four points in, I believe it was like 26 games or something like that, or 27 games, a few in the playoffs as well. But the guy had over 1,000 games. He had 1,037 total games, 1,024 regular season games with the Devils, 552 points. And, you know, Zajac was one of those guys. Even when the Devils were bad, when they were rough, they struggled to really pick things up to play, like to find a way to just support Marty Berdura being one after 2012. 2012 was the peak for this team. Sajak was a big part of that club. He was, he was not a superstar by any stretch, but he was one of the better players on the hockey team. The, as I quick go run over to his numbers here, not his playoff numbers, give me his regular season numbers. There we go. The most points he had in a season was 67. That was back in 2009, 2010, that was when the Devils were in the playoffs, but they were it's typically a first, second round team. Uh, 2012, he actually had a, I remember, yeah, because he was hurt a lot of that year. Only played in 15 games that year. Did he, was he on the playoffs that year? Yes, he did play in the playoffs. He actually had 14 points in 24 games in that playoff run, that cup, the, the run to the finals, excuse me, for New Jersey. And he just, he was consistent. He was just, he was never a, he had, he played with Patrick Eliash and he was, you know, he never had to be Patrick Eliash. He was not going to be, you know, he played out with Zach Parise. He didn't have to be the star like Zach Parise was meant to be. So the fact that he was able to produce, look good, play good, kind of fit in the role that he was given, 
you know, he, he was typically a second line guy. Played a little bit on the first line. Let's let's not let's not knock that here. But he didn't have to put up 100 points. He didn't have to put up two goals a game to be consistent or to be looked at as a good player. He was a solid player. And yeah, he, of course, with most guys with their age, he started to turn down a little bit. And, you know, we talked about a little bit last week, like, is Travis Ajak going to sign somewhere? Well, he did. One day contract with the New Jersey Devils and had his, his opportunity to sign on with the team that he played for forever and retire for the team he played for. He will be joining the team right away, or the same with the team, with the Devils, in a hockey development role, which is great to see because, well, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy that deserves to stick around and play for a long time, or, you know, having played for a long time. He may know a thing or two to help the team out because the Devils are, they're so interesting, right? The New Jersey Devils, they're, they have a couple big-name defensemen. They got Ryan Graves over from Colorado. They could be a good hockey team. This team could win games. Goaltending aside, I mean, if Mackenzie Blackwood can be a good starter, if he can put together some good games and they get the right pieces involved in the offensive end, I think New Jersey could be competitive in the Metro. Now, I'm not going to go on and say, they're going to stun it. This ain't 2018, where they're somehow going to be led by the Hart Trophy winner to go to the playoffs. But they could be a team that could finish, I'd say, maybe five or six. I don't expect them to finish at the bottom of the division. That said, looking at all the other teams in the Metropolitan Division, who finishes at the bottom this year? We'll have to wait and see. We'll probably get to, we'll probably preview that when we get a little bit closer to the season. The other bit of news, I guess, before we actually do officially get to the signings, Jack Eichel is reportedly, according to AP, the Associated Press, that he will be going to the Buffalo Sabres camp for at least his physical. He has been skating. There has been footage of him actually skating. This is not a thing of where he has not touched the ice since he went on the IR last season. He is sticking around to try and stay strong, stay active, keep skating, not doing too much from the sounds of things. But on the same token, he knows that he's not 100% healthy to play. That's why he's, he's probably going to Buffalo to, for his physical and be like, See, can't play. Why am I even here? Or he'd probably do the hockey thing. I'm like, see, guys, I, I, I can't play. I, I can't do this. I, I can't be here. I, I got to go somewhere to get this neck figured out. Or something like that. He'd probably, I don't know how exactly he'd sound. Regardless, it's going to be it's gonna be interesting. If I, I know, I would seriously, like, if I'm a reporter, I'm sitting in that hot, in the, in the room. I don't know if they do the physicals on site or if they have to go to a hospital. That's what we did when we played pro hockey. We actually had to go to a, an urgent care center to get our physicals done. But if I'm ever a reporter waiting outside the door, I'd be like, Doc, what'd you say? His back is bad? Hey, guys, Jack Eichel's back is bad. He probably should get something done with it. Easiest job in reporting right there. So let's get to the let's get to the dotted line and see who signed it this past week. I think the big one we can all probably talk about, literally, Zidane Chara. Speaking of guys that return to their team out there in the tri-state area, the New York, New York Islanders have Zidane Chara back for a one-year deal undisclosed number of dollars going into his pocket, which is the most Lou Lamarillo thing possible. I would not expect anything more than 800 grand. Maybe that's why they're holding it back. But Chara goes back to the team that drafted him. He posted a picture uh, picture today of him in the dark blue Islander sweaters uh, that he had. And he said, yeah, I dusted him up, but they still work. And I remember I, I tweeted at him like, it's got to be the fisherman jacks or else. 
because for those that don't know, when Char was drafted by the Islanders, the Mike Milbury years, he was wearing the, those were the Fisherman Jacks, the teal ones. And listen, if the Islanders ever do go to another outdoor game, you got to do it. You have to bring them out. You don't maybe need to do the full Fisherman Jacks, but at least the teal and orange and blue with the New York Islanders, the NY logo. That I can I can allow. You don't need to go full Fisherman Jack. I'd love if you did, but you don't have to. But that's my thing. Like if, if you're going to do it, if you're going to be the Islanders and say you're going to do reverse retros, you should do the reverse retros and not just the stupid blue ones that they did. Because uh, those, those aren't reverse retro. They were just blue. If you really want to do reverse retros, I think I said this last year, you got to do the crappy orange ones with like the spikes coming out the side that poor Doug Waite had to wear or the... Or the ones that said Islanders on them. The one that John Tavares had to wear in his rookie year. Those are, I'm pretty sure a lot of Islanders fans would love to reverse those years, I tell you. I think, was it, wasn't Ted Nolan coaching that year with the, with the Islanders when they had to wear those ugly things? Uh, Tyler Bozak staying in St. Louis for a couple more years. Rated, Tyler, Tyler Bozak, or maybe, you know what? I did mention Doug Armstrong and his bald head last week. Maybe he does listen to this program because I said Tyler Bozak may retire and he's probably like, we need a shootout specialist on this club. And he signed him two years at $762,500 per season. Bozak and the kid, and I think he's got two kids now. Him and the wife staying there in the gateway to the West for another couple of years. Speaking of two-year contracts, Nolan Patrick getting a two-year extension with the Vegas Golden Knights. He was involved in the trade that when he went from Philly to Nashville for Cody Glass to Vegas. I, you know, it's only two years, two years at 1.2 mil, which I think is pretty generous given the fact that he really hasn't done much, hasn't played a whole lot. But you know what? And I think it's also because of the fact of the ELC deal because he has to get, he does have to get a raise of some kind. I hope he does well. And I hope he gets a shot too because this kid, the the concussion problems, the concussion-like symptoms that he experienced, the migraines for so long. That's why I kept him out of the lineup. And I hope, and I say the same thing about Cody Glass when he went, to Nashville. I hope he gets a shot and gets to play to show that, you know, there's a reason why he was a highly touted prospect coming out of junior and Patrick's the same way. I think if he can get with the right players and the fact that, Hey, listen, Vegas may be in trouble. Vegas may really struggle this year, guys, with certain aspects. If Robin Leonard can't save the day by himself, I, they may be tough, but Patrick, I think will get some honest minutes. And that's what I really want to see for him because for a guy that's gone through what he has, he should have the ability to play. So we'll see how it goes for him in Vegas. I wish him the best of luck out there. Uh, Kaya Yamamoto re-signed with Edmonton one year at $1.175 million. A guy that shows flashes with the Oilers, flashes that he can be an everyday player. At the same token, as you can probably guess with the flat salary cap, which we'll kind of discuss here in a moment, you don't want to buy in for a guy for a long period of time if you don't know what you're really going to get with him because Yamamoto, like some of the other bottom six guys with the Oilers, they haven't been as consistent as I'm pretty sure Dave Tippett and Kenny Holland would like. So they're giving him another year. This may be a make or break for Yamamoto. This He may have a good year, put up 50 points or so, and next thing you know, he's making three, $4 million. So there you go. That's, that's kind of the one thing with these one-year contracts is you see them and it's kind of like, all right, show us what you got. Because it either can be a big payday or a big knock payday. I said big knock payday, by the way. Um, sorry, just checking my phone here. It's going off to my left, making sure I'm not missing anything. Don't want to keep you all out of the loop of breaking news. 
here on the Kula Show. By the way, in 15 minutes time here, we're going to have Icha Jerome coming on from the Hockey Podcast Network to get into the Pacific a little bit more, give us a chance to talk a little bit more, more about Vegas. Uh, a big unsigned player from the Ottawa Senators, Brady Kachuk. Probably the biggest piece left to sign. He's actually the only player left to re-sign out of Ottawa. But Matthew Kachuk decided from the other side of the country to say, hey, well, I mean, he's probably with Brady when he's talking about this, but in terms of they play for Calgary, does Matthew and Brady's in Ottawa, other side of the country is what I mean. He comes in and kind of inter- gives his thoughts on the on the whole scenario with the whole the holdout of Brady Kachuk, which is not a holdout yet, but in a few days it will be. Matthew kind of gave the whole, oh, this is what Kachuks do. We're all in on this. I've done it. My dad did it. Apparently, he said Walt, of course. Uh, Keith Kachuk did it back in his day. I forget who he did it with exactly. I don't. Did he do it with Winnipeg? I don't remember. I need to get. I need to get uh, Ken Wee back over here to answer that question for us because he. I don't think he. I think he may have done it in Philly. Philly or St. Louis? Not sure. Even though Keith because Keith Chuck did play there for a few years, but even though his prominent years probably, or at least where he really built his credibility, was with the Winnipeg Phoenix franchise. Yet, Kachuk still remains unsigned. And I wonder what the plan is going to be, given the fact that Bill Daly dropped a pretty big hint during Media Week, the media sweeps this past week. He was on 32 Thoughts with Merrick and, and Frege, good buddy Frege, saying that the cap is going to maybe go up by a million dollars per year in the next couple of seasons. That's the NHL's plan. Now, why is that important, kids? Well, because of the fact that it's just it's kind of weird to pretty much say, hey, it's going to be 81 and a half for three years. But clearly, with the revenue that the NHL is seeing in the helmet ads, the, what the revenue that the NHL is seeing, poss- or at least projecting with the sweater, the jersey ads, there could actually be enough money coming into the league this year, with, especially with the two new deals, the new TV deals in the United States, to actually bump the cap up which is a great sign. Now, like I said, this is all projected. It easily could turn back here in a few months. That's just how fluid kind of the world is right now. But the fact that there is at least hope from the league that this could change for the better, that there is a kind of an agreement that, hey, we could probably move the cap up. Yes, I know $1 million does not sound like a whole lot from what it was growing before the pandemic. But the fact that so soon after we get back to normal, quote unquote, that we are bumping the cap up, at least in some form or another, that by 2025, it could be up to $83, $84 million, is such a big improvement and better news from where we were <laughs> six months ago when we all thought it's going to be 81 and a half for till the next presidential election. Of course, right up now, they got the prime minister election up there in Canada. So if you're in Canada, make sure you go out there and vote, even though I don't. But that's regardless. So, PTO news. Guys that are trying to fit themselves underneath the cap. Uh, some big ones here. Artem Anisimov and Jack Johnson with Colorado. We talked about them a little bit before. Anisimov, given the fact, like I talked about with Nazem Kadri and his red mist, that would not be a bad pickup for Colorado. Jack Johnson, I mean, if you're going to replace Ryan Graves with, with Jack Johnson, I think that's a bit of a demotion. But, hey, you know what? You need bodies. You can make them work. Go for it. Uh, Matt Bartowski and Brian Boyle, a couple of elder guys going over there to Pittsburgh for a little bit, hanging out there, giving them a shot. I mean, I, I know 
Pittsburgh is starting to get a little bit older in some retrospects, but I don't know how they're going to go with Brian Boyle. I think for him, that's a locker room guy that the Penguins probably do want, though. So when the kids continue to keep coming up from Wilkes-Barre or prospects that come in, having a guy like Brian Boyle is, I think, really important for them. Uh, Tyler Ennis going to Ottawa, which I think is a good fit. You talk about a team that's energetic, bouncing around, you know, wild and fun. Tyler Ennis, despite his age, he's been around for a long time, kids. He still likes, he still plays that kind of wide open, wild game. He does go in the corners, given even though he's a little bit smaller than everyone else. And I think he's another guy that you can put in there that can play, that's a veteran, and that can help the kids and can still, I think, can still be an everyday NHL or given the chance. Heck, when he was in Toronto, when he was in the lineup, he was actually a factor when he was on the ice. When he played, of course, I should probably mention that. Speaking of guys that were from Toronto, um, Freddie Gauthier and Jimmy VC, along with Mark Jankowski, signed PTOs in New Jersey. If Gauthier doesn't break his ankle in 2017, I think we're talking about a much different story here with him. He has potential. He His skating, given the fact that he grew up so fast, he was like Keith Primo. He just it never came along until later on. So hopefully he gets a good chance there. Jimmy VC, I thought, was a real good player for the Leafs last year. When he once again another guy that played a lot in the bottom six, once he got in the lineup, he could produce. So maybe if he gets an everyday shot, I think New Jersey could really use a guy like him. Mark Jankowski, just another veteran guy. Speaking of Toronto, New Jersey, Nikita Gusev playing with the Devils last year signs a PTO with the Leafs. Nikita Gusev came out over the lot of fanfare. I think him going to New Jersey though just didn't quite help out, just didn't fit in. Maybe if he does come to Toronto, it'll work. We'll have to wait and see. We all know Toronto likes to bring the Europeans over to come play for them and ship them off, but we'll just have to wait and see what they do moving forward with him if they give him a shot. Toby Reeder getting a shot there with the Anaheim Ducks after a long stay elsewhere. And real deal, James Neal. Speaking of St. Louis, the Blues. Listen, it could work, right? (laughs) You know, they, they gave a shot there with Mike Hoffman, didn't quite go to plan, and you know, St. Louis is in that spot where I'm not confident they'll make the playoffs, but they need someone there if they want to have any shot. So, hey, if you can get him at a low contract level for a couple of years or maybe just this year alone, sure, give him maybe the guy, give the old goat one last hurrah and see how she goes. So those are the PTOs that have been signed at least right now. No real goaltenders to talk about. And, and goaltending is so hard too because a lot of teams like to have their goaltending situation figured out before camp. Uh, Buffalo, hello. <laughs> then again, I think if Buffalo is trying to be bad, go for it, be bad, and have the lowest cap hit for your two goaltenders in the league. I think that would perfectly explain why your team is bad. Even though Ukapekalukkanen deserves the shot, Ukapekalukkanen, I say it five different ways. The Finnish goaltender that played for Sudbury, won a World Junior Gold Medal, I think you should give it on a shot. I think you should, but that's just me. So with that, folks, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will have Isha Jerome on from the Hockey Podcast Network to preview the Pacific Division. And we'll ask him a little bit about the salary cap and whatnot and how things are going up there in Canada with capacity restrictions and whatnot. We're back with more of The Cule Show right after this. And welcome back here to The Cule Show, everyone. Inside of the Insiders, Tyler Cule back here on this Monday, September 20th. Yes, I had to look at the date. 
day it is anymore. I just kind of go by if it's Monday or not. I, I just know I work Monday through Friday at the radio station. I have two days off, and then I'm back at it again. So I figured today was at least Monday. Then again, that's why I'm doing the show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Uh, by the way, I found out why uh, Nick Robertson was kicked out of that Prospects game tournament before he, when we were on commercial break. Uh, he cross-checked a guy in the face of the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, uh, yeah, he was kicked out of that game. I don't know if he can get suspended for a Prospects tournament, but he may be facing some supplemental discipline at the end of all that. Um, also, forgot to mention Sammy Niku uh, was going to be put on waivers today by the Winnipeg Jets for unconditional bio purposes. But... Let's get to some Pacific Division action. And you know what? Let's just talk hockey in general with the man who is the behind the brains and all of the awesomeness that is from the Hockey Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. All the way from Vancouver, should be called Victoria Island, Isha Jerome. Isha, how you doing, man? Good, man. Good. Uh, excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Isha, I, we should probably mention, and this is probably the 12th or 35th attempt of trying to get Isha on the show, unfortunately. Our, I was going to say, I knew you were going to mention it. <laughs> our schedule our schedule just never seemed to work out, unfortunately, but we were able to get him on today. Uh, Romy does so much. If you guys ever check it out, of course, you guys all remember this from Soda Pod, State of Hoppy. We've had him on a couple of times. Romy is a co-host of that, as well as BC Hockey as well. Uh, and Romy, I mean, first of all, I got to mention, got to say this. When I heard about the Hockey Podcast Network, I thought, okay, this is probably because I've been on a couple other podcast networks. I'm like, this is just going to be some, oh, this little thing with maybe a few shows on it. It's on, a, on, like a, on like a WordPress page or something like that. You guys have a lot of awesome stuff going on over there. Yeah, man. Thank, thanks a lot. Um, I'm glad we're better than a WordPress page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, the initial goal when we started this completely independent with my business partner, Dylan Kayser, and I. I was still in college. He had just graduated and we kind of did it on the side. Um, it was our, it was our night job. You know, we'd work, I'd do my whole day of classes. Dylan would do his whole day job. And then we'd get on our computers and just start working until, you know, we couldn't keep our eyes open anymore sort of thing. And our, our vision was, you know, we needed a hockey hub of, of podcasts and then, you know, some sort of visual media to follow it as well. And that there wasn't really a central hockey hub of podcasts at the time of when we launched. Um, funny enough, the day we launched, Locked On launched theirs as well, but they didn't oh. fill out the roster. So, hmm, I wonder why that happened. But anyways, so, you know, obviously now Blue Wire is doing great things. Locked On has their network up, and there's there's a ton of just podcast networks and sports podcast networks popping up left, right, and center. But there's something unique about the Hockey Podcast Network is it's more of like a family vibe. Everyone helps each other uh, out. Everyone produces their own content. We don't really touch anybody's uh, podcasts or, or content, you know, creatively at all. We're, we're confident in the people we work with and it's all about just growing that hockey community and other, you know, sports podcast communities as well. Yeah, no. And if you guys ever want to follow, make sure you check them at hockey pod, hockey pod net on Twitter and Instagram. Um, of course, like I said, we, there's soda pod, there's, you know, team specific shows, there's general shows, all this cool stuff over there. Check that out. Romy, let's get to some uh, recent hockey talk here. Today, for example, I saw from the Toronto Star, uh, Chris Johnson retweeted this, that's how I found it, that the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto Raptors with that are planning on having full capacity at their arena. Now, the province of Ontario hasn't given a guidance yet, but it sounds like they're pushing it, which would also pertain to the Ottawa Senators. However, in BC and Quebec, the Canadians and the Canucks are going to be played under limited capacity. And of course, with vaccine requirements and whatnot what you know what is your take on all this because you know we've had people on from canada all last season as well where it just seemed like the north division just could not get fans in the arena nothing was in canada it was, it was tough i know the vaccine rollout just didn't quite go to plan to say the least 
But, you know, what is your take, the fact that they're going to be allowing fans back in in the first place? Well, I think it's it's a good thing. It's a good thing for the National Hockey League. It's a good thing for the teams themselves. And yeah, you're right, man, especially in British Columbia, where I reside, the vaccine rollout was slow to say the least. I mean, there's still people in my friend group who are still catching up and getting their, their second one, um, you know, those who choose to do so. Um, I, I don't think it's an infringement on anyone's rights that the Vancouver Canucks are asking like, hey, like if if you want to come to the games, you have to be double double vaxxed. I mean, that's that's a privilege that that we have to be able to go to sporting events, and that's their safety plan. That's the provinces and the the Vancouver Canucks thought and plan to keep everyone safe. So I, I I'll respect that. If I want to go to a game, I'm gonna you know show my card and make sure that I get tickets early, so I'm, I'm one of those people who can get into the arena. Um, I think just politically, what's going on in British Columbia right now with just all the protests and things like that and like like i just mentioned bc in itself having just a slower rollout i'm not surprised that they're having limit limited capacity to start i i am fully confident that by after christmas mind you if there's not another fifth or sixth wave or whatever wave of covid we're on now then i could definitely see it opening up and if the canucks make the playoffs then absolutely no question do you think I mean, I love I because I, I talked about that too. Having the fact that we could come back from the Olympics and have full capacity. Oh yeah. But at the same token, like you said, I mean, because I remember I mentioned it earlier on the show too that this could literally be a case of where we could have what happened last year. It goes into fall, winter. Everyone comes back indoors, and everything just goes back to poop, which is entirely possible as well. Um, I also mentioned off the top how my wife and I last Monday we went to go see Michael Bublé here in Grand Rapids. Oh, nice. We, First of Van- all, Vancouver boy, Vancouver boy, big Canucks guy. And I, I tried to get him on the show. Unfortunately, getting to his PR staff is almost impossible. Yeah. Uh, but he's no. also a uh, Vancouver Giants part owner as well. Yes, I do remember saying that. Um, he actually made a funny joke. He was talking about the Detroit Lions because um, he, he, uh, they lost to San Fran the day before. He's like, the Lions won yesterday, right? And I yell out, are you talking about the BC Lions? <laughs> Unfortunately, everyone in West Michigan that was around me did not get that joke. That's amazing. I That's thought it was amazing. hilarious, but I mean, let's be honest, the BC Lions and the Detroit Lions, it could probably play to a 0-0 tie that will both of those teams play um, for all of our CFL fans out there. But yeah. it was out there. I mean, it was a it was a vax and you had to show your vaccine card when you got in. And it was about, I'd say it's about 85% full of the Van Andel Arena because it was a similar thing in West Michigan and Michigan as a whole. They're... There are people that are one side like get vaccinated, like myself included. Then the rest of them are like, why would we need to get vaccinated? I'm like, I don't know. I just because it's safe and whatnot. And so I, I wasn't shocked when I heard that you know, Buble's tour said, if you want to come to my show, you got to get vaccinated. I'm like, that's fine by me. But then again, I was, I was vaccinated as early as I could. So do you think, though, like if with, you know, obviously Alberta is full capacity, Calgary and Edmonton, Winnipeg's the same way. Do you think that if things were to hit the fan and go backwards that the teams, cause obviously in the, the provincial government governments, do you think they would be willing to turn back and say, all right, let's cut back capacity. Do you think they would do that? Given the fact they now they've just about opened everything up, at least in those couple of provinces. Uh, I, I don't know. Again, from my experience in British Columbia, we've done things slow anyways. And our health minister has, whenever they have lifted restrictions, they haven't, haven't been scared just pull them back quickly if the data is not working in our favor so if it's working 
and they don't project it to get that much worse, even with a little bit of a climb, because this is an up and down process, the, the world we live in right now. Yeah. Unless there's a really a great, great risk, like the spike we saw, you know, around Christmas time and, you know, after the holiday gatherings last year, which again, last year, not everyone was nearly as uh, vaccinated as they are now. Very true. So I'm thinking it, it will be okay. And they're, they're not scared to take drastic measures, but my opinion is if, if things are going along, they're just going to constantly be learning, constantly having more data, constantly making things easier that I don't think they would just drastically cut it and then push back uh, to the extent that you kind of alluded to. Yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting. As I keep telling people, it's fluid. I work at a news talk radio station here in West Michigan, so I get to tell everyone the good news every day. There you go. I say good news just to keep a smile on my face. <laughs> um, let's let's run over the to the West Coast. Stay over on the West Coast over there, Roman, with you guys, and talk about this Pacific Division, which I you know I, I want you. To, I'm going to challenge you here, Romy. I need okay. you to tell me why the Pacific Division, if you can, if not, it's okay. Tell me why the Pacific Division is not the worst division in the NHL. Um, and speechless. It, 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 it will it will be competitive now. Whether that's for <laughs> whether that's outside of California, you know, <laughs> sure. Um, I don't know, man. Honestly, that that is a challenge because I'd, I'd really have to pull on you know pull for strings for that one. Um, I'd probably just make an argument that's heavily weighted on McDavid and the Vegas Golden Knights somehow. Um, it, this division's up for grabs. It, it really is. And I say this all the time as a Canucks fan um, that I, I don't see the Canucks being, you know, a, a playoff team. I really don't. Looking at looking at their roster on paper, maybe maybe fringe at most, but in the Pacific Division, man, they have a playoff spot to lose, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. That's why I I always, um, I was talking to my buddy Thomas Biondo last week about it. I asked him, like, should they go back to eight teams, just have the top two division teams and then have everyone else be the rest? And then he's like, well, what are you going to have in the East? You're going to literally have the top two, you're going to have like maybe yeah. two from the Atlantic and then the rest will be Metro division teams. In the West, you may just have Edmonton, Vegas, and then the Central division because. Yeah, the Central I, stacked. Yeah, and I, I, you know, it was kind of a running gag here. We just kept bringing. I mean, we brought on the state of hockey, of course. We just kept going with Central Division guests, and the more we talked, I'm like, how is there not going to be five teams from the Central in the Western <laughs> Conference playoffs? Dude, I know it's it's so tight. Yeah, I just I, I look, and obviously, I think at the top, it's so hard. I I, I think Vegas is still the top team, but oh, at the yeah. same but at the same token. And this is nothing against Robin Leonard, but we've seen now that there is, and I'm not saying he's glass like Ben Bishop is, but he can, he is injury prone. And if he goes out of the lineup with Flower in Chicago now, Vegas could crumble to go down and fall down that Pacific Division standings. Well, fall to number three at most, maybe, because look, this is the Which, way I see it. I mean, Vegas is at the top, and then it, Edmonton's number two. And I don't think Edmonton's a great team. They just have the McDavid and Dreisaitl factor. I mean, right. if anything, I think the team, they didn't really take a step forward. Some argue they take a step back. I say that they just kind of remain neutral. They just mixed in some pieces and got a little older, but sure, they got some experience. And, right. you know, <laughs> whatever you want to do there in Edmonton uh, to the management group, go right ahead. They get a, they're getting a year older. That's all. That's yeah, the experience. Yeah. But, but sure, okay, I'll have Edmonton at number two. Calgary, I really don't know. I have no oh, idea. Based off last year and some of the moves this year, I'm just like, they're a wild card for me. Maybe they're a playoff team. Maybe they're not. But then you have, what, the Vancouver Canucks? 
and yeah, I guess maybe Calgary there and then, you know, California teams. I think Seattle maybe is right under the Canucks and in that Calgary realm too. So it's like Vegas is number one at the top, like in a tier themselves. Then it's kind of Edmonton somewhere in their own tier. And then it's like Calgary, Seattle, Canucks, and then everybody else. I mean, the Kings are taking a step forward. They're not, they're not yet close to be competing for a playoff spot. You know, the Kings, I remember they were flirting with it for a minute. I think they hit fourth at one point in the Honda West last year. And I said to myself, are they Ooh, the are Honda they? West? <laughs> yeah, that, well, I'm like, I just for, I was shocked because, first of all, I thought, I thought, I said Minnesota was going to finish fourth and barely make the playoffs and lose in the first round. I was half right on that. They, yeah, <laughs> they finished clear in a playoff spot, which for the wild, for the wild franchise's history, that's a win because they've yeah. never been outside maybe four points out of a playoff spot. Took Vegas to seven games. They, oh, it's still just that was that was the thing they were going to do. I'm like, if it was if Colorado had won the damn division, they would have been a different story because they would have beaten Colorado like they always do in the first round. But I I look at L.A. and I think, all right, they'll probably be the best team coming out of the the of California. Oh, hands down. Anaheim. I, how many more years can you waste John Gibson? That's my big thing. I, I love, and listen, I love Gibby. I remember seeing him burst on the scene in the 2013 World Juniors. I said to myself, he is going to be something. He's with the Ducks. Oh, they got a good team over there. So Perry, Getzlaff, Camp Fowler, they're going to be great. Yeah, their D- defense core was unreal when he came in. Shea Theodore was still there. Montour was there and Young, uh, playing well, yeah. Uh, not Tenorti. Um, who am I thinking of? Wasn't uh, Vatnin still there too? Sammy Vatnin was there. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, like that's a hell of a defense core. And they were all young. Yeah. And they were, they... Uh, Manson, uh, Josh Manson was just coming yeah, along. Yeah. They had the wow. they had the potential to be something. Had a couple of decent runs. Unfortunately, age caught up, and that's that's where they are now. But I think they're gonna make a step in the right direction. I, me with Anaheim, I actually saw them at the beginning of the nineteen twenty season, and I said, and I went to a Wings game. My buddy got free tickets. We drove across. I wore my Anna, my Mighty Duck sweater. I nice. still have one of those, and I watched him. I said. This don't forget, this was October. So this was October brain thinking, I'm like, man, this team's pretty good. They're three and oh, they're showing they can play well. They handled the Red Wings. And I'm like, they got this. The rest of the season was a different story. Yeah. But I, I like, you know, guys like Maxime Comtois and uh, Ricard Raquel is another guy, and Adam Henrique is still there. I I think they'll be better, but it's just it's another one of those things that I the California teams are gonna be the bottom three in this division, right? Yeah, I mean LA and Anaheim, they're they're good teams moving forward because they have great prospects. They have an amazing, you know, prospect pool and pipeline. But it's just the natural development of any team building. Like they just they just need a few more years. And then once they identify, okay, which guys pop and which guys we we want to build around, then they'll bring in the free agents to fill out the roster and actually make a push in the Pacific. And it's gonna be crazy because the Pacific's gonna go from this tire fire of a division to a really competitive division pretty quick when Anaheim, you know, pops, when LA gets to that point, when, you know, the Canucks take another step forward. Um, if, if Calgary can turn, turn things around on the fly and if Edmonton somehow figures things out, well, then you're looking at a pretty competitive division. I mean, <laughs> the San Jose Sharks, they're in a world of hurt. Like they're not even at the rebuilding phase yet and they're no. still at the bottom. They are, well, they're, they, well, they're, they're done, man. I, I, they're, they're, like it's 10 years of hurt ahead of them. I swear. I don't know if Doug Wilson's going to be there much longer. I knew as soon as they signed Eric Carlson, that big contract, I said to myself, are you delusional? Like, I get it. Yes. They but he had, played well with them in the playoffs. So at the time I was like, okay, we're drinking the Kool-Aid because everything's kind of working out. And then it, honestly, I play Martin Jones more than Carlson to start. He just, well, he, oh, he played, he played so well Awful. in those playoffs. 
and yeah, I, at the end, awful. The last two oh, years, like atrocious, yo, man. And the and the crazy part was, I, I remember watching that run, and I said to myself, "This team should not be here." Because if <laughs> for those that don't remember the 2019 playoffs, Vegas got screwed in Game Seven when Pavelski fell down and he really fell after getting knocked down by Cody Eakin. The offsides call against Colorado in Game Six, I believe it was. And they in the conference finals, there was a blatant hand pass that led to a goal and kept them in the series. And I'm like, and and the thing is, as soon as I saw the contract for Carlson, eleven million dollars, I'm like, does Doug Wilson not know that he has one actual living foot? The other <laughs> foot is made of metal and plastic. I'm like, this guy is not a hundred percent. And uh, I'm, I'm not saying I'm wrong, but it's now. And here's the question, though, Romy: the uh, the expansion San Jose Sharks back at the Cow Palace. Back in the 91-92 season, they went. They won 17 games that year. This was back when it was an 80-game season. So 39 points. So if you really want to go on point totals, they would probably finish around 40 points. Does this year's Sharks team eclipse 17 wins? Oh, man. I think uh, I think they can. I think it's a narrow. Like, if they have a 20-win season, then, like, they should at least be, you know, not kicking themselves. Yeah. They, man, they're just going to be... They're, they're an interesting team, but... Well, you like, look at Vlasic, too. Mark Edward Vlasic, who's, oh, in, man. who's an, an Olympian. Who an awesome, yeah, who was an awesome player. Gold gold medal, uh, Canadian Olympian, and that contract just looks so bad. So, again, we can we can all harp, or harp on uh, Carlson, of course. He's he's overpaid, but if he's if he's healthy, and he, this year he actually played pretty pretty good, all things considered. Um, I, I don't think that's just the anchor that we have to, like I said, harp on. Like Vlasic, that's a terrible contract. Burns is still giving you a bang for your buck, but you look at like Couture as well. Like great player, but like is he worth that much? And is he a top bona fide, like top, top player? They don't have a bona fide top center either that's helping to carry them. I don't know. There's a lot of work that needs to be done there, and it's not going to be easy. Like, I honestly thought that somehow Seattle was going to end up with Brett Burns, and that was going to be a proactive move from Doug Wilson to kind of be like, okay, we know we have to throw in the towel and start the rebuild in some sort of uh, fashion because I don't think they can do it all at once with the amount of contracts and money they have to get off the books. Burns is 36 right now. He'll be there through 2025 at 8 mil. Eric Carl serviceable though, at least. Oh, He's yeah. still putting up like 40, 40 points a season. Yeah, he at I, least, at I've, least. Yeah, no one's harping on Brent Burns. Carlson on Cap Friendly is off the board. He has six years left on his contract at eleven and a half million dollars. You'd think Jim Benning signed that contract. No kidding. I well, here's the thing. Listen, I I am I don't go after Mitch Marner on Twitter, but I still think he's an overpaid player. Eric Carlson is out of the water compared to Mitch Marner. Um, oh, yeah. Mark Edward Vlasic is seven mil through 2025. I, I look at these guys. All of them are over 30 years old. Carlson will be 37. Is this these kind of guys' contracts that you're just going to say to yourself, hey, when that contract's up, they may be done playing hockey? Some, maybe. Vlasic, Vlasic yeah. <laughs> Burns, I mean, he might take, he might go out the Joe Thornton way and just take cheap contracts and try to win a cup or, or who knows, you know, he may just retire into his RV and, you know, travel uh, North America. That I would not be shocked. Find him in the woods somewhere. I'm like, yeah, well, that's yeah. what he does in the off season. Eh? Him and his family get in his like sprinter van or huge RV and they just travel Canada and the United States. That sounds like the life. I know that's what I think that's what Neil Peart used to do when Rush was not touring or trying to record an album or something like that. He would just get on his motorcycle and just ride around Canada. Dude, Tom Green is doing that right now, actually. Really? He's he's literally living in like one of those. I don't think it's a, uh, a Sprinter, but it's Dodge's version. Oh, yeah. And he has a dog. He got a puppy. 
Um, he's making music. He's writing uh, like a, a cartoon screenplay. And yeah, he's just traveling around southern United States right now. Um, I saw a picture of him. He's got a huge, huge beard. He just looks like a gypsy in like a cowboy hat. Oh, uh, nice. Shout out Tom Green, a good Canadian uh, comedic legend. Oh, man. that That's the way to live the life is just travel around. I remember the Blue Jays had a guy that they traded to Detroit, and he showed up in like his Volkswagen van, and it was like cooking breakfast out of it when he got when he went down to spring training. And they're like, oh, who the heck awesome. is, I don't remember, I, that's, that's how oblivious he is. I don't remember who he was. I just remember that being a huge story. They just showed up living in his van. And I'm like, yep, Major League Baseball, kids. It's a wonderful industry. Oh, uh, my God, baseball. Let's let's get back over here to uh, to Calgary. It's this so this team that has so much talent. And besides the fact that Johnny Gaudreau is literally useless in the playoffs, this team should still be a team that should make the playoffs, right? At least on paper, Romy. Oh, on paper, especially in especially in this division. Oh, yeah. sure. They they should be a team to make the playoffs. Uh, two three years ago, and their defense was unbelievable. When kind of every position was addressed uh, via trade or just with their prospects coming up in Monaghan, uh, Goudreau and whatnot. Um, I think Brad Chilvin actually did a really good job building this team. I think he did pretty much everything that he had to do. Sure, there were a little hiccups here and there. No GM is perfect. He did the best he could do with this, re- you know, with taking this team from pretty much, you know, the shells of a rebuild and creating it to what it is now and when it was competitive the last three seasons. Um, I, I don't know if he knew about everything that went on with the former coach, even though the team was playing really good at that yeah. time. Um, th- there's just been some some bad luck, whether they just cannot get over the hump in the playoffs, whether it's, again, drama and and just things that go on within the organization um, that cast a cloud over the entire Calgary Flames. And I just think that it didn't work. Sometimes you create a team and not every team is just going to win a Stanley Cup, right? I mean, look, I'm a Vancouver fan. They went to the finals twice. They didn't win the Stanley Cup. And I argue that 2011 was one of the best Vancouver Canucks teams ever constructed. I don't know if this incarnation of the Vancouver Canucks when all said and done is going to be as good as them. So that that, that just goes to say that like winning a Stanley Cup isn't easy. You know, GMs, I, I don't, I take the GM award with a grain of salt because can you really judge a GM by one year, like year to year? No, it's a, it's a process. It's the team they built. It's how they built it. And I give Trillivan all the credit, but it didn't work. And he has an opportunity now in a window to because they're not the most competitive team in uh, in their division hell even in the western conference like they, they once yeah. were a few a couple of years ago this is an opportunity where you have assets who aren't too old who are smack dab in their prime that hey you haven't won with yet and maybe might might not with with this team so flip them bring in some assets help make some hockey trades bring in some different players di- a, a different type of mold of a team yeah maybe you set it for like hey we're actually going to pop and be competitive in, in two years and you bring in some younger assets, maybe not even draft picks, but just younger assets with those trades and you retool. I know some people roll their eyes as rebuild is a retool. I think they're, they're different things. A rebuild is, you know, you're, you're gutting it all. You're starting from the draft and you're waiting until you find those players you can build around with the retool is it's arguably maybe even harder because you have to do it quickly, but the possibilities are there to move out players and bring in different assets and reshape this team. Whether he wants to, you know, keep one as a a, pil- a pillar player who sees it through, or a few, I think Goudreau and Monahan are probably going to be out the door if that's the case, though. And Trillman goes down that route. So you think is there who is the untouchable for Calgary? I think I think I'm, just given the fact that Markstrom is six million dollars, I think you have to just because oh, no one's yeah, taking but, that. 
But who, no one's who, taking that on though. So I, I don't I don't really think there is an untouchable. To be, I mean, you'd like to keep Kachuk, and if the only way I'd, I'd see him trading him is if it's for a huge haul. But you yeah. could say the same thing about Johnny Goudreau and, and Sean Monahan. Yeah, and I, and Goudreau, I, I harp on him all the time, and he is a great player, skillful player, but similar to Mitch Marner. I mean, as soon as things come down to the 80 degree in the playoffs, he disappears. Well, and look I, at Monaghan, too. He can score 30 goals in the regular season, but he's not moving the needle as a center who really drives the play and flow of his team. And right. I'd say the same thing about Johnny Goudreau. Unbelievable pieces and elite players, but you put them on a team that has, and I know this is shooting for the stars, but, you know, an example, like a Sidney Crosby, someone, you know, a Nathan McKinnon, someone who really, like, I am controlling the game. You know, I'm the chess master. You're, you're my pieces rather than just really elite pieces that's yeah. you know monahan and and goudreau you know they're, they're they're queen pieces on the chessboard but those players that you need to win a stanley cup those true top centers or even you know elite defenders who really the, the game they're, they're controlling the entire game they're the ones moving things around and i don't think calgary has that yeah because I, I when mckinnon's on the ice you're terrified when cross is on the ice you don't you're terrified kachuk's on the ice you're scared, but it's not like like if he's you know uh, what's coming. Yeah, you know exactly. What's coming with Kachuk, you know what's coming with Goudreau. I mean, you're just a flashy player may not be able to check him, but you know this guy's not going to set up like <laughs> the play of the century. And that's why when the Sedins were with the the Canucks, like they were so at scared their peak. Because, because they were unpredictable, right? And I think that's what it comes down to when when you have players, you know, whether it's a pairing or, or one player who can you know like a, a Gretzky or even a Lemieux who can dictate the entire play. You know, the entire sequence, that's what's terrifying, and that's what ultimately helps win Stanley Cups. When you have, again, just really, really good pieces, you can have the best chemistry in the world. Sometimes it's just not it's not going to get done because there's just not that maybe mental toughness there too where you crack under pressure. Again, I'm not a professional athlete. I've never even played close to that level. But I have to imagine that plays a huge part in what separates, you know, those who, yes, are of an elite talent, but... Have, don't have that X factor, that 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 killer factor, you know, that uh, right. Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson factor, uh, given a boxing example there. Yeah, you, you need to have those guys, that one player that can be a game changer. I've, I've made this joke, and there's not many Calgary fans that have really reacted to it. Maybe it's because they are a little bit younger, because probably the old guys are getting older and probably don't listen to podcasts that much. But Johnny Gaudreau is the modern-day Kent Nielsen, a fantastic <laughs> hockey player. That's a, that's a good example. Great hockey player. How many points did he put up in the playoffs? Now, granted, if you played against Gretzky's Oilers, you probably just let them, they, they just <laughs> never let you have the puck. But that's the thing. It's like, he just never did much. He was a great hockey player, could dangle the socks off of everybody. Peter Forsberg gives him credit for the Forsberg, even though apparently Kent Nielsen was the one he learned it from. So there you go. But, I mean, the Pacific, like I said, it goes through Vegas. Even though, you know, you talk about how Vegas could be a certainly, or the Vegas, the Pacific could be a very competitive division within the next few years, given how some teams are rebuilding up through prospects. Vegas may not be that team in three or four years. I know we're trying to preview no. this season, but Vegas, like, they're going to hit that wall, right, Romy, one of every these days? Every team does. Every yeah. team does. But I, I keep saying this every year. I'm like, when are Vegas fans going to have to realize what it's like to have a losing team? I can't wait. Like the I cannot like wait for the, that day, man. The Raiders are one thing. The, the NFL, the Raiders are one thing. Like because they, the Raiders just you know John Gruden will run that team in the ground. They're going to suck. It's going to be great. They're starting off two and zero. Everyone thinks it's great over there. They're going to go like hey, eight at least and nine. Not, at least they're not playing on a baseball field. That is true. That is true. But but that point though, it's like they're going to hit that wall. And they are going to be where Anaheim and San Jose yeah, are because gonna they're be going to have days. 
that's and it's going to be weird. I mean, because that's the thing, and that's why I think the reason why Vegas is so successful today, why they're still packing T-Mobile Arena, is because they were so good that first year, and they've continued to be good. If they sucked that first year, Romy, I don't think I don't think Seattle comes along, and I don't know how the fans. If I'm not saying I'm not saying Vegas would be folded by now, but I'm like they're not selling out every night. They're not bringing in money like crazy, and Mark Stone still in Ottawa. Um, I don't know if it would be that quick of a decline. I think especially the first year that would be honeymoon phase. So I think the first year still would have been great. I, I really do. Second year, uh, they would have to take a step forward. And if they took a, if they regressed again the third year, then maybe there would be issues there. Um, your point on would Seattle be an expansion team? Maybe not. And I like where you're going. Uh, I like where you're going with there. Perhaps though, a team has moved to Seattle. Because I know yeah. Seattle, they just they wanted a hockey team there. Um, a few years ago, I believe was I think it was 2015, if I'm not mistaken, where the Arizona Coyotes had to re-up their lease agreement at that time, or there, there was some sort of whatever drama was going on with the Arizona Coyotes at yeah. that point. It just seems like there's drama with that franchise every year, multiple times a year, even. Uh I read a story just from some uh some insiders and stuff in Seattle that like they actually had like trucks load a truckload of gear ready to just like move a bunch of hockey equipment and a, and just a pretty much move that franchise to Seattle. Straight Whether, Baltimore Colts it. That's overnight. Yeah, man. Like apparently they had like Mack trucks and semis like idling with just equipment ready to go, whether it was to, I don't know, just to stamp their ground on like the arena building at the time or, you know, set some things up in a different rink just to make a statement. I don't know what, but I was reading and I heard just some insiders and local radio guys in Seattle, like talking about that at the time. So like oh. Seattle and the NHL have been itching to to bring hockey back to the Emerald City. So whether or not it was an expansion team, I still think we would see the Seattle Kraken uh, today, maybe in a different form uh, other than expansion team though. I remember, I remember we talked about this. So it's funny. We, uh, when I was doing my own personal hockey blog, I think in like 2017, shortly before Vegas started up, the team had already been announced. And I just thought to myself, like, let's write an article like, Seattle, that'd be a good place to have a hockey team, right? Yeah, that'd be perfect. Let's just kind of, I just wrote it out and I explained why. Now, this was before the team was officially announced. And this was, what, five, almost four or five years ago now. And it got a lot of traction. But like, yeah, Seattle would totally work. And obviously, the way the city has already bought into it, they've obviously bolstered up a lot. Then again, when you have Jerry Bruckheimer's money, I'm pretty sure you're going to yeah. be able to do a thing or two over there. Jeez. Let's talk about this team here. I don't know if you did. I went on Cap Friendly and I did a live mock draft of who I would pick for the Seattle Kraken. I went $5 million over the cap because I actually tried to pick a, a team that would win now. Ronnie Francis, the guy that was properly hired for the job and as we can tell is more qualified than I, uh, this team has $9 million in cap space left. There was a lot of picks that left people scratching their heads. However, this is a team that I, they didn't plan to win with this team now. And then again, I don't think Vegas did either. It just happened to work out that way. But... Where would you say that this team could finish in this Pacific division? Because it's almost like if you're going to put an expansion team in the NHL, put them in this one because they have a chance. <laughs> um, I, I kind of it all rides on Calgary. I think if Calgary blows it, then the Seattle Kraken could be a playoff team. I really don't think the California teams are going to push at all for a spot. So it's Calgary's spot, the Calgary or the Canucks spot to lose. I think. I think Edmonton is probably a lock, barring Drysdale McDavid stay healthy and they get some sort of goaltending i mean at least don't let in five goals a night then you probably will be okay 
Mike's <laughs> old man Smith. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's where I see it. And realistically, I think going back to Seattle and Ronnie Francis, I think he just didn't utilize his, uh, his position of strength well enough. I think that instead of taking deals, you know, those type of deals that George McPhee was able to execute as a member and and managing the Vegas golden Knights. Sure. He went a little hardball on, on a ton of general managers, you know, making deals to not select players or, you know, this and this and that moving pieces in and out there. Some say take advantage, taking advantage of other teams. Ronnie Francis, instead of just taking what he could have, taking whatever was on the table, but pretty much is free money at that point, free draft picks, um, like McPhee did. Because McPhee went hardball with a few picks, but he also or trades and whatnot. But he also just took like fifth, sixth, fourth round picks every now and then too, for just like okay, I wasn't going to take that guy anyway. Sure, I'll take your your you know your draft pick or whatever. But Ronnie Francis, from what I heard, anyways, refrained from if he couldn't get what he wanted in these deals. Um, using his leverage, he just kind of walked away from a lot of smaller ones last minute, which I, I didn't quite understand. And yeah, he did make some head scratcher picks, but they're, they're they're taking things a little bit different than Vegas, mind you. Vegas unloaded everything, like like you mentioned, after they had success their first year and just and went for it, and rightfully so. Seattle, even if they make the playoffs this year, I, I can't imagine that they're just gonna do that. I think they're still gonna wait a few years, see where some of their draft picks. Uh, you know, lie and, and 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 how good they are, and then continue to to build there. Maybe if they have success this year and next year, quicker than they plan to, then maybe they fast track it a bit, depending on the assets they have. But realistically, they're not moving any of their veteran players they got in the expansion draft right now for pieces, even if they play really well and make the playoffs. Yeah, and I, I it's weird to say this. I feel more confident in this Seattle team than I did in Vegas's first year. So I don't know if that's a good thing for Seattle, that they're going to be better than Vegas, or it means that there's expectations. And if they don't do well, I, I have to agree with you though. I agree yeah. with you though. I was saying the same thing that first year of Vegas. Like I don't want any, anyone who says otherwise is lying. They're wearing their, you know, their Vegas goggles there after that first season. They, I, I had faith for them all the time. Like buddy, did you even know who William Carlson was? Like, because no. that you talk about one of those deals that they were talking about, David Clarkson, who was with the Columbus at the time, he was the, he was on LTIR. Yeah. He he, George like, yeah, I'll take on that contract. William Carlson, he sucks. Okay, let's see, forty six goals, and everyone looks like a genius. Yeah. And of course, well, just fleeced Florida too. Oh my lord, Gerard Gallant, take their coach, take Riley Smith, Jordan Marchessault. My goodness, the only thing that was well, left, I think, was left there was like Roberto Luongo and a bag of pucks <laughs> and Keith Yandel. Yeah, man. And Alex Tuck, too, turned out to be a great player for them. I mean, yep. you know, Minnesota, a fan favorite in Minnesota. So, yeah. Man. <laughs> well, the, the crazy thing about this team is I look at their look at their cap friendly. Their highest paid players, Mark Giordano, at 6.75. After that, not a single player making more than six. So in terms of if you're going to develop slowly and, you know, leave cap space for later, this is the team to do it. Jordan Everly is the highest paid for it at $5.5 million. World Junior Championship legend, Jordan Everly, by the way. Probably should make sure that's perfectly clear. I do like their goaltending, though. That's yeah. with, with an expansion team, you need to have good goaltending, which is funny because, of course, you know, you, you did this, you're doing the soda pod there with State of Hoppy. Minnesota had a very interesting uh, tandem there to start things off. They had Dwayne Rolson and Manny Fernandez, and it just happened to work out. Uh, I remember Nashville had like Mike Dunham. They got Vokun, I think, the next season. And I don't, I, I think it was Damian Rhodes in Atlanta. Like they had bad goaltenders. But when Vegas came along, they had Marc Andre Fleury and five other guys that apparently could play well that one season. 
And this in Florida, when they came in in 94, 93, 94, they were good because they had Mark Fitzpatrick, who was a good backup, and John Van Beesbrook, who was still in his prime. This team has Chris Drieger, who had his best season ever down there in Florida. Hey, take a goaltender from Florida. Maybe that'll work out. <laughs> and But also Philip Grubauer, who yeah. I, listen, we're going to find out if Philip Grubauer was good on a good, or was a decent goaltender on a good team, or if he's actually a good goaltender. He's getting yeah. $5.9 million. And yes, he did look good at times, and but how many get you could probably count on your hands how many times you actually had to steal a game for Colorado that's just how good the team was in front of him well and he was with Washington before Colorado right so yeah what, yeah yeah so and remember he remember he their prime. and he was the starter for the 2018 playoff run oh lost, yeah yeah lost, yeah that's true lost both games he, but yeah I hope he wasn't doing too well then <laughs> but yeah that's the thing is like we're gonna see if he's actually a good I'm not saying he's not a good goaltender he's a national hockey league goaltender but is he a near six million dollar goaltender is what I think we're going to see because I remember a lot of people talking, not trying to go back to Calgary entirely, but people are looking at Jacob Markstrom saying, "Like, see, he's not worth six million dollars. Look at the team in front of him. Is Philip Grubauer worth six million dollars? I don't know. It's so hard to say that because my myself, if you if you see my studio right over here, I have a poster of Chris Osgood. People think Chris Osgood is the worst goaltender to win a Stanley Cup. I say BS." He's won 400 games. He should be able to go in the Hall of Fame. But that's what I'm saying is, like, there are goaltenders that have that mantra with him. Corey Crawford was another one that had that for the yeah. longest time in Chicago. Do you think Grubauer is a number one guy? Or, or like I said, we have the goggles on because he was on a very good Colorado team. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a 1B right now with, the again, potential to prove us wrong because he's, he's played very well, again, when – he has a good team in front of him and not all the pressure is on his back. Now, you know, he really has to come out swinging. He really has to prove to us that A, he deserves the contract and B, that he's a top National Hockey League goalie because though the top goalies are separated by those who can still put up outstanding numbers and win your team games when yeah. your team in front of you is not an electrifying high score in Washington Capitals or uh, Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, it, it's it's hard. I mean, shoot, I, I there have been goaltenders that have gone to different teams. That's why I think when people when Mark Andre Fleury went to Vegas, they thought, well, this is going to be a nice swung song for him. He'll get some money and have a good time. Wins the Vesta Trophy last year and gets traded. So maybe maybe Chicago's his swan song. We'll have to find out. Maybe this. Hopefully, the Chicago fans are are nice to him because he's a he's a good guy. Which, uh, by the way, Yossi Soros was uh, was robbed of even Vesna um, conversation. I think that guy was unbelievable last year. No one even really talked about him. I will say this: Grubauer getting third in the voting is strictly because of the fact that he was on the best team in the National Hockey League. But it that's must we. Have been. But that's we also said that when Vasilevsky was nominated, the year Tampa won sixty-two games. Now I think last year Vasilevsky he's backed it up. I think he's backed it up a little bit since then. <laughs> yes, he he only won two Stanley Cups and whatnot. No one's really talking about. But yeah, you're talking about UC Saros and good buddy Peyton Turner, who maybe tuning in right now is probably saying yes, Nashville Dude, talk. His numbers were insane. He he carried that team last year. Like at one point, I think he had like a ninety-three save percentage and like a two goals against. I was like, are you kidding me? Obviously yeah. came back down to earth a little bit, but like there was like a 10 game stretch where his numbers were like that. And I was like, how, how on this team are your numbers like that? I mean, the guy can play under pressure. Um, can he sustain it? I'm excited to see this year. Cause I always root for Nashville, even though I can't stand Duchesne. I think he's a, 
He's not. He's he's overrated and is he's way overpaid. Granlin's like in the end of his career sort of thing. So like, I still root for Nashville. I think there's just an awesome vibe with that hockey team and market. And I've always liked uh, Soros, so I'm rooting yeah. for him, even though uh, the team's like, uh, they're not, I don't think uh, they're gonna be that good. Peyton, yeah, Peyton Turnage, good buddy, former uh, Alabama Huntsville broadcaster. He is. He's like every time I talk to him about it, it's like, how are the Preds gonna do this year, Peyton? He's like. <sighs> he's like, he's Hayden, like Shea Weber is my favorite player of all time, and uh, I loved him with that Na- on oh, Nashville. Oh, I'm gonna send. I'll make sure I text him that. And he'll probably yeah. be like, "Aw, we traded PK Subban." <laughs> Weber and Suter, man, that was the most dangerous defense pairing in the National Hockey League. I, you could probably make an argument like ever. Oh, that that D pair. I I, I know Subban was there for the 17 run, the Cup run, but that defense core, whether it was Weber or Subban, they're like the top four: Ekholm, Ellis. Yossi, Suter, Weber, like they tore it up. And then Suter decided to go, you know, go be closer to Wisconsin, go move in with his wife to Minnesota. And that worked well. I mean, he got paid a lot of money. I don't think he's going to probably complain about that. But successfully on the ice, it probably probably didn't work out so well. Yeah. But uh, Dude, Hoppy just texted me and he said, uh, tell him Osgood isn't a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Hoppy, you're never allowed back on this program. <laughs> Chris Osgood, listen. I'm sorry that Manny Fernandez was not considered <laughs> to be a Vezza Trophy winner or Dwayne Rollison had to, you know, get ran over in game one of the 06 finals with Edmonton. Chris Osgood's going to the Hall of Fame before I die or before he, because I, dang it, it's going to happen. I Listen. I, I'm I, turning I, off my phone. I'm turning off my phone. <laughs> Hoppy, I'm sorry, Hoppy. Um, I'm sorry that you never had a goaltender that won a Jennings Trophy or was good. Like, listen, I love Devin Dubnik to death. He's a great hey, guy. Backstrom was a hell of a goalie. For, yeah, okay. No, now you're going to, no, because I've always, I, it's funny, because whenever I talk to Hoppy, I've always had a hankering for Minnesota, just because I love the state of Minnesota. It's the state of hockey for a reason. I said, if there's any state I'm going to move to, just willingly because I want to, would be moving to Minnesota. It's because it's basically Canada, right? It's, it's <laughs> well, shoot, there was a funny graph, like, describing the United States, and Minnesota was New Canada. Because uh, yeah. it's more north than Ontario than most of it, anyway. Oh yeah, heck yeah, geez, International Falls is one of the toughest places to live in the United States <laughs> because literally it's, I think it's like an hour away from Brandon, Manitoba. That's so oh. bad. But <laughs> but um, but I said I always love. So whenever I hear Minnesota, I'm like Nick Bash, I'm like yeah, but. Ugh. See now, but now I, I I'm trying to get a hoppy now. But you bring up like Nick Bash from Minnesota. Right. I'm like I I like the Wild and I I like cheering for them. And even though people call bring them boring. Pittsburgh because that that's what really gets hoppy going. Oh I, oh geez, Pittsburgh is well they're gonna keep making the playoffs as long as 87's there. Burke and Hextall are gonna make sure that that team is a competitive hockey club. Even if Tristan Jari's their starting goaltender, even if Pat McAfee starts going after their goaltending, they're gonna keep trying to be a playoff team. <laughs> Uh, let, you know, let's get on the wild page here. Obviously, we talked about you run this. You, you and Hoppy are a part of the Soda Pod on the Hockey Podcast Network. By the way, talking with Isha Jerome, the head of the Hockey Podcast Network, one of the heads of there. Um, first of all, we talked. I was talking about their Winter Classic sweaters that they're going to be doing there with St. Louis. What do you think of the the green and and brown and all sorts of elbow and elbow covers and stuff like that? I, I okay. Overall, I, I like the old school flair. I like the I like the elbow covers and stuff. The only gripe I have it with personally, and I'm a I'm a Jersey buff, and I don't have that like mixed in bias that Minnesota fans have had with kind of just you know meh play on the ice and meh Jersey and meh logo throughout the, the existence of the franchise. But as a Jersey buff who's kind of you know looking on the outside, I liked it. I think it's cool. I think it, it's an ode to 
a classic style jersey. If I'm going to get picky, I don't like the lines on the top, the, the stripes just above the crest. Yeah. I think that was just a little too much because the jersey itself is busy. And I think for the most part, it's like symmetrical and it's it, it's enough. Um, but the stripes was just a little, little overboard for me. I, I don't, I really, and it must be some sort of legal thing where the Dallas Stars or the Dallas Stars owner at the time must own the, the North Stars rights. But I was like, about to the, bring that up. It's the winter classic. Why aren't you going with the North Stars or at least some sort of vari uh, variation? It must be just a legal thing. It must be that when the Dallas, when they moved to the Dallas Stars, that ownership, uh, the previous or, or the, the ones who have it right now, because I'm pretty sure it's actually a, a BC guy who owns the, um the dallas stars but anyways yeah whatever the case that logo um that branding must just not be available to the minnesota wild or you'd think they probably would have already done it though hoppy pushes back and kind of says that they're separate they're separate times because yeah. when you know hoppy grew up on the wild whereas before then you know the, the north stars that are, are already been gone so yeah new age fans are attached to the wild i get it but again it's the winter classic personally i would have liked to see that and i know there's teams who haven't necessarily done it during the winter classic or any outdoor games, but we've seen Carolina go back with the whalers. We've seen the avalanche, you know, go back with the, uh, the Nordiques. It's just like, why can't the wild do it? And again, there must be some sort of legal thing. I'm pretty sure I read about it at one point. I don't know what the current status is on it, but I mean, I like the reverse retro. I don't mind their winter classic ones at all. I like the blues ones a lot more. I, oh, yeah. I'm not a fan of the St. Louis blues hockey team or even the city much at all, <laughs> but I really, really like their logos i'm a music guy the blues the blue note oh, it just and it's like a badass blue note blues a good yeah. color um yeah I, i've always liked their jerseys and and their logo and i think their winter classic one is sick i've always liked teams that don't try to create a new sweater for, for at least for winter classics i get it when you do have to do the stadium series you have to get creative because you can't wear the same one all the time hey, so vancouver they went back with the millionaires which was awesome that i was cool with because and seattle I, will 100 percent do that s uh what were they the, called the, the metropolitans yes the first ever um, american team to win a stanley cup yeah, and uh, they brought um, the Spanish flu to Vancouver Island. So thank you very much. They partied too much in the Stanley Cup Finals against Victoria. But anyways, and then the, and then and Seattle brought the the Rona up there as well. From what I've been yeah, told. Thank <laughs> you. But anyways, it's uh, made this nice big old loop around. It came to Michigan, and we all had fun for good old what nine months or whatever the heck it was. We're all in court. But anyways, no. Um, yeah, I love that. And Minnesota, and I because that's why they did the reverse retros the way they did. They had the yeah. subway logo. Oh, shut up. They had to do something yellow and green. But you mentioned how it's, it could be a legal thing with that. And it's so confusing because if for those that don't know, the 91-92 and 92-93 seasons, the North Stars wore the exact same, the black and the black and white that Dallas had for the first few years of their time there. They had gone away from the green and gold, I think the year after they made it to the finals and got their butts whipped by Pittsburgh. That's why, that's why I always get confused about, I'm like, you didn't even have those jerseys when you moved <laughs> down there. Why does it matter? But then again, I, I am a little biased, though, towards the North Stars because uh, the Kalamazoo Wings, about an hour south here from Grand Rapids, yep. uh, that Kalamazoo was, for the longest time, Minnesota and then Dallas's farm club. So, right. when, so if you look at old videos of the Kalamazoo Wings, they would be in the green and gold. And then the 90s, when I got to see Marty Turco, not just when he was at Michigan, but Marty Turco play for the Michigan K-Wings. They wanted some more big-time appeal. They were in the black and whites, and Roman Turek as well. Got to see nice. him. Uh, gosh, Jamie Langenbrunner, Keith, uh, Ken Hitchcock was a coach for a couple of years. Like uh, yes, that like I got to see the '99 Cup winners before they. 
That's I'm one awesome. of those. I'm one of those people. I got to see them before they were good and cool. Uh, I was a hipster Wait, at age three. I yeah. got a question. Did Did you ever see um, the Kalamazoo Wings play Danbury when they were in the UHL? No, I did not. Oh, oh my gosh! I so I have a I have a friend who does the fight pod, one of the OG fight podcasts on the Hockey Podcast Network uh, yeah. at Fourth Line Voice, and his brother. Uh, apparently, the UHL did like a Canadian University import draft at the time, yeah. and his brother, you know, basically was drafted by Kalamazoo. They offered him a contract, and his friends in Kalamazoo told told uh, my my friend uh, Darren's brother that like. Look, you could come to Kalamazoo. You'll get minutes. It'll be fun. But there's this team called Danbury that has 10 heavyweights, and we have one. So you're going to get your ass kicked every single night because you're going to have to step up. So you might as well go to the coast. <laughs> For those that don't know what we are referring to, there is a Netflix series called Untold. It's a bunch of different stories, a lot of sports stories. Um, all really good. They're all really good. There's the Malice at the Palace one, which for me was huge because I remember watching that game live and being oh, yeah. just Christy absolute. Martin, that one, that one was my favorite so far. Christy Martin the, was another... Oh. Uh, that was another really good one. But the one we're referring to is the Danbury Trashers when a literal mafia ran a hockey team. We like to joke about Lou Lamorello on the show being, you know, the head honcho, being the godfather, the Lou father. This team was literally owned of a convicted mob boss. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Galante was literally a mob boss. And there's rumors that the Sopranos, like Tony Soprano was based off of him. Well, the well, you know, well, you, you've seen it. The yeah. son that... The 17-year-old kid that ran the Danbury Trashers was named AJ. The son of, of, uh, of Tony Soprano in the show, his name was AJ. I'm not saying, kids. But then again, just a couple years later, he was convicted. And Sopranos is still one of the greatest shows of all time. They're like, yeah. it's a good thing they did this after the show. They would have probably gone after like the directors of the show. Like, <laughs> probably a good thing has happened after we went off the air because we would have been involved in this thing. But, oh, man, man, it's... It's an it's a crazy story. It's and I don't know what your take is, Romy, on hockey fights. I still think fighting should be allowed in the game, but well, I, I still watch LNAH whenever I can. Oh <laughs> man, the French league! Holy moly! Dude, we could go off another hour about fighting. Honestly, I you know I long and the short of it, it has its place in the game. I understand where the NHL and junior hockey is at. But, like, I'm not going to say just because things are moving forward and progressing, I'm not just going to pretend that I don't enjoy it. Oh, I'm no. going on Fourth yeah. Line Voice YouTube channel every day watching fights. Yeah, no, I, I I do enjoy a good fight now and again. I Now, this is me, of course, growing up in the 90s of the IHL here in Grand Rapids when we would play the K-Wings 12 times a year in Chicago 12 times a year. When literally, if you ever saw less than two guys in a penalty box, you would think <laughs> it's the start of the period or the game. Right. And so I'm not saying I don't like fighting. I just remember as soon as I was watching some of that and I was like, man, that was 15. That was like 12, that was 16 years ago. Gosh, hockey's come a long way. Cause yeah, man. Cause I grew up in Northern BC actually. So my hometown junior teams were the Prince George Cougars and the Spruce Kings. So I had W I, I had BCHL Friday night at WHL Saturday night. It was unbelievable. And I mean, you know, Dustin Bufflin was on the Cougars. Um, oh, yeah. I, did, I didn't remember Char on the Spruce Kings. I was really young, but, you know, Char came through the Spruce, Spruce Kings. So, like, those Prince George teams were hockey crazy. And, man, I, I, I remember that there's at least three fights a game, either yeah. the PCHL, Junior A, or at the WHL level. Oh, man. I when I played a senior league in Ontario. Uh, they don't allow fighting anymore in the, OH, in the OHA. And I just remember... I would talk to guys that grew up there and watch the Lancers back in like the nineties. Like, Oh yeah, it'd be great. You go to a game Sunday around two o'clock. You'd go to church in the morning, you know, <laughs> go say hi to your father and whatnot, drink your wine. And then you go to the game, get drunk and watch 12 fights, watch a gong show of the game. 
that's just how hockey was back in the day. And that's why yeah, when I see the trashers, I was like, good Lord, this is how hockey was back in the day. And it's it's so different. And there, I know there's there's a lot of people out there that are like, hockey should be gone. And listen, it's only when someone gets hurt when that happens. I remember when Tom Wilson went after Artemi Panarin, even though it wasn't really a fight. They're like, see, yeah, that's that why. Wasn't, see, that wasn't a, see, that's that's what I'm saying. This conversation could go on so long. That's not what we're talking about with fighting. Right. Right. Like there's a there's a code and yeah at some points it got a little WWE where the heavyweights went after the heavyweights but for the most part it was a role and they took charge when the refs couldn't right. and as as messed up as that sounds the people who are most critical haven't played the game or haven't really done their research and talked to people who played in that role as a goaltender myself I never had to fight anybody because if I if there was ever an encounter where I may have had to say hello to someone physically Someone would step in and get in the way and take care of the rest, and I would never have to worry about it. I'm not saying I'm against it, but I'm not. I'm not saying I'm for guys like, like listen. There's a reason why Colton Orr and Fraser McLaren were no longer in the National Hockey League after the 2013 season, even though that was the year of the Leafs. That year they made the playoffs and somehow blew it against Boston. They led the league in fights, and of course Don Cherry was saying, "See kids, this is why the National Hockey League." should continue to keep fighting going on because this team is successful and they fight all the time. At least that's what Don Cherry said. And then, then now we're here we are with Don Cherry no longer working. Uh, but it's it's a it's a fun game to watch, and I'm excited for this season. I, I don't know how it's going to be. I Obviously, fans in every building from the get-go is going to be great. I'm going to try to make my way out to a few Wings games. I'm trying to convince Kelly to go to Chicago with me because now I get to go. Now I'm close enough. I can be driving distance of Marc-Andre Fleury for the first time in my life. So I would love to see that. And, and obviously, I have to apparently I have to get Hoppy back on the show because I have to talk to him about yes. goaltending because apparently we have our differences. I'm sorry, Hoppy, that you've never had a superstar goaltender or a Stanley Cup winning goaltender in your state. I apologize, Hoppy. If he hasn't turned it off by now, of course, he's probably like, oh, God, he's going after me. Uh, well, OK, you know, I I, I know the uh, they're going to be doing the Hall of Fame induction to probably do them live this year. Romy, last question, kind of off the wall here, kind of off the cuff. OK, who is a player that you because obviously, like I said, Osgood's my guy. I'm going to keep thumping him. I'm going to keep messaging Lanny McDonald every time I can to get him in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> who is a guy that you think that's not in right now, the Hall of Fame that should be? Oh, Alex McGillney, 100. percent I, I have I have no idea why this guy is not in the Hall of Fame, other than, yeah, maybe he took his foot off the gas after a contract year. But let's be honest, who in the National Hockey League hasn't done that? Yeah. The guy was really pretty banged up too. And if you hear about how passionate he was to to play hockey in North America and just like his his political stance to want to live in North America and, and get out of Russia, you'd think like the NHL would just back that in itself, or sorry, the Hockey uh, Hall of Fame Committee would just back that in, in itself. I mean, his story on just how he got here alone is just like legendary in, in hockey circles and in hockey history. And he brought it on the ice. One of the most elite goal scorers when, you know, at, during his time at, in, in his prime, he played unbelievable for the Buffalo Sabres and he played very, very well in Vancouver as well. And even at the end of his career, he was still, and I think this this kind of casual fans don't know this, but like he was still a locker room guy. He was a very unique figure. He wasn't a raw, raw guy. He liked to keep to himself. Apparently he was super humorous, loved the media, even though he didn't kind of show it flamboyantly. But he took care of those guys in the locker room, even uh, even in the minors. He took he, he took care of guys in the locker room. And I, I think that, yeah, he he's, should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame hands down. 
Yeah, it, I I remember him because he was with the Leafs the last couple of years there, and he was still a big player in that. The O two run still kind of it bums me out because we were we were this close to be you know talk about. I still even though I wasn't even born yet, I still want Carrie Frazier in a room by myself, even though ninety three was two years <laughs> before I was even born. But like how close it was to a Toronto Montreal Stanley Cup final. We were literally two games away and Matt Sundin's wrist away from a Detroit Toronto series. Now, granted, Toronto probably was going to get killed because that Detroit team was the <laughs> Hall of Fame team. Yeah. But, you know, th- those things, like, because McGillian was part of that team and he was banged up as well. I, I remember I read it in Curtis Joseph's books, like, the fact that they made it that far was impressive, yeah. just the amount of stuff they went through. Yeah, well, I hear that about the Vancouver Canucks, too, with, with their 2011 run. Like, their BX, uh, Raymond, they've all said that, like, if they didn't get past San Jose at the time, if they had to play two more games or another game against them, rather... They would have been done. They didn't, were that didn't, gassed. Didn't Raymond lose his get hit in the eye that year? Was that the year that he got hit in the that, eye? Um, I believe that was Malhotra. Raymond. Had oh, Malhotra. Malhotra. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Raymond's back was messed up. Higgins' like knees. He could barely skate. Kessler had you know so many injuries. You know. Oh, as, and, as we learned later. Yeah, as we learned later. Um, yeah. I mean, but that's what it takes to win a Stanley Cup, man. Even in the modern NHL, it's still a it's the most grueling tournament in sports. Well, I, I, the, it's one of the greatest stories of all time. After that fourth Stanley Cup uh, from the New York Islanders, Wayne Gretzky talks about how he yeah. and Kevin Lowe had to walk by their locker room at Nassau at the Coliseum, and they weren't celebrating. They were tired. They sat in yeah. their stalls and were, like, sleeping almost. That's just how tough it is, and that's why, I, that's why, Romy, that I'm sitting here today talking to you because I was not that strong enough to make it that far. Buddy, I, I play ball hockey. That's my claim to fame. <laughs> hey, listen, I could, I was a goaltender, but you got me on the if you got me in the gym playing uh, playing ball hockey in gym class, I was the superstar. I love I, it. I could tear it up for days. We have been chatting here with Isha Jerome there of the Hockey Podcast Network. Follow him, guys, at VIS Sports Talk as well as Hockey Pod Net on Twitter and Instagram. Romy, thanks again for jumping on, man. It's been a pleasure chatting hockey with you. Hopefully, we get to talk down the line. Hopefully, we can get Hoppy back on here so I can give him a piece of my mind and talk some more hockey as well. Thanks again, man. I can't wait, brother. This was awesome. All right, you take care. That was Isha Jerome coming over from BC to talk about the Hockey Pod network listen guys they have a lot of good stuff there and with that i think it's probably time uh got a couple more minutes left here i mean obviously i can go till 8 30 i get that but we uh may as well do i want to make it now i mean yeah yeah we can make the announcement now i was thinking about it because i'm like do i want to well first uh probably the big one here uh second big one uh, Chris King, we're doing a special show tomorrow. Chris King from the New York Islanders radio play-by-play voice. We had him on prior to the playoffs or after the playoffs uh, last year in 2020. Had him on the show to talk about the Islanders. Obviously, it was really fun to talk to him. We're getting him back tomorrow. We'll be doing a special show, not here on 12 Ounce Sports, though. I do apologize. It's going to be on the QL Show pod, QL Show Family Networks, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch. We'll be on there to interview uh, blah, blah, Chris King. Sorry, names are starting to pop into my head all of a sudden. Uh, it will be live tomorrow, and it will be added on to the show next Monday night. We'll be back for next Monday night. Um, so with that, probably should make the announcement, I have been hired by Locked On, by Locked On Podcast Network. And the, Romeo was talking about them a little bit earlier on. I've been hired as the new host of the Locked On Capitals podcast. 
and I'm really excited. Uh, we're just just got hired today. Uh, glad to make the announcement. Really excited to join the crew covering the Capitals. I know, I know, I've uh, had my wherewithals there with Tommy Wilson, but we're gonna get to talk about him every single day. Uh, what does that mean for this show? I'm not sure yet. Um, I was talking to Sean earlier today about it, and you know, he they'd be willing to let me do this too on the side, but obviously, I'd be doing my stuff for them, and that would take first priority. This would come second. Um, so I don't know for sure what this means for that, but I'm really excited to be a part of the Lockdown crew. I, it's going to be fun to be getting daily content from me, which means you get to hear my voice even more. Um, so be sure to check out. Make sure you follow me on TJKU29 to get updates on that. And yeah, stick it here, folks. Uh, a on 12 Ounce Sports, because they these guys here, they do a great job. They've really helped us out a lot as well. And like I said, check out the Hockey Podcast Network there with Romy and the guys. They do an awesome job over there. And stick here with us on the Kula Show because I I, I don't know what it's going to mean going forward. I don't know what we're exactly the plan's going to be. I don't know how often I'll be doing shows. I'll do. I mean, I I want. I remember I told you, Sean. I'm like, I love. I would love to do covering the Caps, but I love talking all things NHL. It's kind of hard when you do a team specific show to you know be branching off like crazy like that. So. With that, I, I think that's a good way to wrap things up here tonight, here on the Kula Show. I'm going to go. I'm going to get some food and get ready to watch the Lions lose on Monday Night Football to Green Bay. I think that's a good way to good way to cap things off here on this first night of the week. Like I said, folks, be sure to tune in tomorrow, 4 o'clock on the Kula Show, at the Kula Show on Twitter and Facebook. Make sure you check us out also on our YouTube channel because that is where you're going to find the interview with Chris King, New York Islanders play-by-play broadcaster. And like I said, the interview will be recorded and put on next week's podcast forum and also the show next Monday night. Thank you all once again. Thank you for Romy for jumping on for as long as he did. Pleasure talking with him. We'll see you all next time on the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports.